Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the PropG Markets podcast. For nearly two years, PropG Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high-flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, PropG Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer... It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. Hi, everybody. How you doing out there? Today is Monday, I believe, the 8th of October, 2018, and Caesar is home. How are you? This is the MMA Hour right here on MMAfighting.com. I'm trying to get everything right. I've slept like two hours. Uh, we have a lot going on today. You guys all know what's about to happen. UFC 229 weigh-in will do. I've got a UFC 229 focused. You can't see it. I've got another laptop here for the Monday morning analyst, and a bunch of guests are going to stop by. We'll see about Tony Ferguson. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Hopefully he comes by. i got to ask him about the ball, but I don't know. Uh, in studio, I do know this. Fedor Emelianenko is going to be here at about, ooh, I think, 1240. One o'clock, Ryan Bader. He'll also be here. Look forward to chatting with those gents. And then one of the best coaches in the game had an incredible moment, really, in letting a fight not continue. Uh, Duke Rufus will be here at, I think, 1.20. And, of course, your tweets with a round of tweets, your calls with the sound off, and a whole lot more. Got a bit of a late start, so let's just get into it now. I had a wonderful weekend in Las Vegas, and by that I mean I am so tired I could cry. Uh, I can't sleep in hotels. But here's what I will say. You know, MMA fans online, it's a bit prickly of a situation, but in person, y'all are tremendous, man. What So many people coming up saying they watch the the show and that they like it. Um, No way to judge if they're being truthful, but I can tell you that they were being certainly very friendly. Really, really, really friendly people out there, a lot of you. And if you saw me and took a picture or whatever and said hi, I really appreciate it. And anybody who took time to be kind. Thank you guys so much. It was really kind of overwhelming to a degree. So I I just want to say a heartfelt uh, thank you. Um, okay. And I said, don't you know, say hi and don't be weird. And that was really what happened. No one was really weird. All right, let's go to the arroz to my frijoles, the uh, arequipe to my pan, and the chambea to my ala. He is the producer of this wonderful show, the one and only Danny Segura. Let's pull him up. How come I can hear you and I can't see you? Yo. There he is. I'm here. I still can't see you on the big screen, though. Oh, all right. Getting that up. How are you doing there, bud? I'm good. You? Uh, tired, man. I'm so tired. I'm tired as well. It was a long weekend, but man. There you are. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, you guys back here on the home front did a killer job uh, all the way from the top down. Every, everyone was pulling their weight out there, either in Vegas or back home. So I want to make sure I want I want to tell you thank you, and I want to tell everyone on the MMA fighting staff, all the way, including Pete Carroll, all the way in Ireland. Everybody did a bang-up job. I thought it was a showcase of what this site can do. So thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. And, and shout out to everyone on the team. Uh, killer coverage all week. Uh, head over to our YouTube channel. Uh, tons of uh, cool video content interviews with, yeah. with all the fighters. Everything. Well, and shouts to Mark Ramundi and oh, Sean yeah, Oshadi. Boy, sure. those boys burned the midnight yeah. owl, uh, owl oil. I can't talk today, and I get paid to talk. That seems like a problem, doesn't it? Yeah, off to a great start. Right? Yeah, just a bang-up job I'm yeah. going to do today. We are going to do the Monday Morning Analyst a little bit later, right? Looking forward to that. Um, let me ask you real quickly before I get to my weigh-in. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from UFC 229? <sighs> biggest, biggest overall thing. What is it? 
I think I think we're and you've mentioned it before. This sport is is getting closer to boxing each day. <laughs> uh, watching that whole thing go down after UFC 229, I mean, it, it, that to me looked like a boxing scene. I feel like we've seen that before in, in boxing yeah. arenas and uh, just just everything that comes with it. People kept calling it WWE, but that doesn't seem quite right. No, you see much more riotous affairs like that. Yeah, um, in boxing showcases. Yeah. yeah. Wild, wild week. By the way, I forgot real quickly. Yep. People can always send us tweets using the hashtag the MMA hour. We're going to get to those. I heard the calls were overwhelming today, right? Extremely overwhelming. Uh, the inbox was blowing up. Calls from everywhere. Yeah. Uh, great calls, by the way. The fans have been stepping up tremendously, and we'll we'll see that later on the show. Like the 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 type of questions that we're getting, they're they're really good questions. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks to everyone. We're probably not going to get to all the calls, unfortunately, because there were so many, but. Uh, you know, we'll do our best to, to showcase the best. All right. And then if there's any evergreen ones, we'll save those. Yep. I guess we're going to get to, we're not sure where we're going to get to those. It might be a little earlier. It might be a little later. I guess we'll just play it by ear. How's that yeah. sound? Yeah, uh, good. I'll come back and check in with you. Uh, and by the way, for folks who want to know, you can always call 844-866-2468. That's the number to call whenever you want to leave us. And what's the email address one more time, Danny? The MMA hour at voxmedia.com. So if you're an international caller, uh, well, and can't call, you can always uh, send an MP3 to that email. The MMA hour at voxmedia.com. All right, man. We also got PFL tickets, right? Oh, that's right. We got, how could I even yeah. forget? Yeah. Well, Long Beach, California. Oh, now we're going to give those out around what time? Why don't we give those out around like, well, don't give the time. Don't give the time. No. Oh, you know what? We're going to give it so, somewhere during the show. So stay tuned. And uh, at some point, we're going to open up the hotlines for you to call in and, and get some free VIP tickets. There you go. And in studio, we've got uh, The Last Emperor. So yeah. it's a big show. I'll check in with you in a bit. Cool. Sounds good. All right. It is time now, ladies and gents, for the weigh-in. All right. Time now for the weigh-in right here on the MMA Hour. Thank you guys so much for joining us here. Um, look, man, there's only one thing to talk about today, right? And everyone's kind of talked it to death, but we've now had a little bit of time to think about it all and process it and see what it means. we got to talk about that brawl. There's just no other thing to talk about, and which is kind of funny because a, a truly historic fight happened and a historic moment happened. I'll get to some of that and the crucial, I should say, the more crucial details in the Monday Morning Analyst a little bit later in the show, but... Let's open it up here talking about this brawl. And here's the central question that I'm trying to ask and I'm trying to dig through. Whose responsibility was that? Like, if we had to attribute blame, who was responsible for the post-UFC 229 brawl, right? And I think a lot of you might say Habib is the one who's at fault, right? After all, he's the one who jumped out of the octagon and then tried to drop kick Dylan Dennis. And what has become, by the way, a truly iconic photo. If you guys seen it, it's like from the position of Habib jumping in, neither here nor there. Sure, I could buy that argument. Habib is to blame. Okay, all right, fine. Some might say it was McGregor to blame, right? Here was the guy going out there and stoking the flames of ethnic and regional tensions uh, being incredibly disparaging towards towards somebody's father, family, team, manager. I mean, it goes on and on. Calling him backwards, by the way, which is getting into some really troubling territory as well. Um, and then you could also say, well, he also punched a guy in the octagon, even though he got attacked a little bit. You can see some of it here. So, sure, he has some responsibility to bring to this situation as well. It's like, I believe he has a right to say whatever he wants, but you have to know your audience you got to know who you're playing with. Yo, 
Habib Nurmagomedov is about that life, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you like that or whether you hate that, that is a fact. That's just what it is. And if you're going to say those kinds of things, I'm not in any way saying you should allow for that kind of behavior to take place. What I'm saying to you is it's inevitable that it will. It is inevitable that it will. You, you play with people who don't want to be played with. Don't be surprised when you succeed, right? You want to get into his head. Congrats. You did. So he has some responsibility to bear here. You can say that the security staff did whatever they could, and I believe that. Could there have been more of them? Could there have been better preparations? I suppose. I wouldn't attribute much blame to them. I think they did everything they possibly could. But certainly for next time, maybe some greater precautions should be there. Is the UFC responsible for helping to create a space to facilitate this kind of behavior? You could make an argument that they were. You could make an argument, right? They never really ever sanctioned Connor. In fact, neither did Connor's team, SBG, as I mentioned before. When Marcelo Garcia got tired of Dylan Dennis just being weird on Instagram, chucked him out. Nothing ever happened to anyone over there as far as I know. Certainly nothing ever public. UFC didn't do anything. UFC stood by, not merely with this fight, but uh, as well as with Jose Aldo. Um, now, they did put on a tremendous event with the green octagon and, the, and the, the steam coming over the top or the smoke or whatever that was. I mean, it was a phenomenal sight, phenomenal booking, and it was a phenomenal success. I take my hat off to him in that respect. But if you allow room for these kinds of ideas to fester, you're going to end up in a bit of an uncomfortable spot. So there's that as well. Um, but here's really what I want to focus on. You could blame all of those actors. The answer it really, though, is who is to blame. It's not that it's one or the other. It's kind of everybody. But here's the truth. It's also us. Yeah. Yeah, it's us. It's us. I saw after the fight a lot of people saying, hey, look, it's no big deal. And by the way, the rematch is going to make a million dollars. And that's using the proverbial million. Like, it's going to make a gajillion. It's going to make incredible amounts of money. And here is my response to that. It's like, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that that, to, that, that is true. Um, it's also ghoulish that it's true. That's gross, man. Super gross that that would be that way. It is that way, but uh, it's, it, it, it just, look, the, the central insight here is I don't think we should be clutching our pearls and, you know, fainting on couches. These kinds of things have happened in combat sports many times. As I told him, Danny, it's not really a WWE thing. It's a boxing thing more than anything else. With these riotous scenes outside of the, the, the sporting venue or the arena, the, not the arena, but the, the area of contest. You've seen those sites all the time. But when we gleefully indulge in the financial upside of ethnic tension, you know, something's kind of wrong with us, man. <laughs> Something's a little bit wrong with us. And maybe it's not so wrong with us that it needs some kind of major fixing. Uh, and to a degree, it's, it gets to be of a slippery slope. How much of it can be personal? And then it gets to, uh, well, this crosses the line. And, well, if that doesn't cross the line, but then this crosses the line. And there's this series of escalations. And everyone's got this sort of subjective interpretation of it all. I, I get that it's, it's a little hard to balance. But, like, the reason why it will make a lot of money if they did a, re, a rematch or or whatever, they, they keep these tensions alive is because customers love it, all of us, me included to a degree, and you out there to a degree. You know, I, I'm not so upset that it happened in as much as I am a little bit bothered that we're not taking any time to question why we're so happy about a financial upside for this kind of disparagement and debauchery. That, 
that seems a little off. You could say, well, look, what about the bus incident and chucking the dolly? Everyone loved that. Well, some people loved that. Some of us wondered if that was really the best idea or that if at a bare minimum, we should be you know, so magnifying of it. Go back to that John Malkovich promo that they ran. Not really one mention of the dolly, not any kind of focus on it at all. I kept saying to people, it's not that the bus is not a good vehicle for selling fights. It's just a good vehicle for selling fights to donks. Because the reality is this fight has historic implications, historic importance. It's truly one of those kinds of, of, of events. In any event, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if they're going to book a rematch. And if they do, I don't know when. I don't know when any of this stuff is going to happen. Here's what I know, though. If you're in a sport and the thing that's really driving you is, man, we can make so much money off of, off of ethnic tension and <laughs> international rivalry. The fight game is nakedly kind of who you are, yeah? We all have a preference somewhere for sameness, whether that's a national sameness, uh, a religious sameness, a familial sameness, a color sameness, an ideological sameness. We all have a preference for it all. And that's why when you have these Mexican versus Puerto Rican rivalries in boxing, people get up for it. It's supposed to boost pride, not make money off of off of the the ugliness of conflict and i feel like we're getting a little bit too far into one side so who's responsible for it all yeah man habib's responsible for it all connor's responsible for it all ufc various other actors you could point to in these videos and whatnot the truth is we're responsible for it because we crave it we pay for it we demand it frankly we reward it and me and the media we cover it perhaps a little too uncritically and that's my way in. All right. Um, let's do this, Danny. Do we going to do a round of tweets now? You want to knock that out? I believe that's what we're going to do. Yes? We can do what you want to jump into the analysis and do that later? All right. Let's do that then. How about this, ladies and gentlemen? It is time now for the Monday Morning Analyst. All right. Here I come. Yeah. All right, boys and girls. We're going to turn this up. All right. Can you see me? Yes, you can. There it is. Look at that. It's got my big-ass nose. This nostril doesn't work. Isn't that fun? Yay. All right. So if you want, my screen is plugged in. You can go to it now. And uh, here's what we're going to do. I'm still trying to slow roll this. I had some people tell me in person in Vegas they love the new stand-up portion of this, but the problem is it won't be so great for the audio podcasters. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to try and split the difference. Some of this you're going to have to see with me standing up. Some of it you're just going to have to, um, you, you, won't, you won't necessarily have to. It's, I'm going to give you what I can in broad strokes from an auditory standpoint, and then there are going to be some visual components here as well. Do we have this up? What's the word? Working on it? When we unplug it and plug it back in? Let's try that. Let's give it the old college try. Huh? That should work. No? That's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> Tell you what, while they're figuring that out, let me give you some of the broad strokes, if we can. It worked earlier. All right. A couple of things here. What I have on video, if I get an opportunity to show here, is a couple of things. I'm going to get to that first takedown sequence that Habib went to in the first round. And you could go back and you could show the right hand he dropped Connor with, where he fakes the shot and then comes over the top, the blinding speed that he had. You could go to some of the third round stuff with Conor McGregor having the two-on-one on, the, on the fence and that uh, doing a really good job of uh, keeping Habib from 
advancing position. And then I, the other part I have, though, is I just have that first round takedown and then the, the fourth round, which eventually led to the end, because to me that really was the whole story. But here are some of the broad strokes that I think are worth talking about. Number one, um, I've seen some debate about this. Folks are like, Connor fought well. Connor fought poorly. What's the truth? The answer here, and I've, and I've, I've really struggled with how to explain this, but the best way to say it is Connor fought well in parts but was basically overmatched almost everywhere it appeared. And here's the, the bigger lesson for me is, not only did he fight well in parts and was slightly overmatched, but when Frankie Edgar gets tired, let's say Frankie Edgar's fully fresh, here's his level of ability. When he gets tired, he's kind of down to here a little bit. When McGregor gets going, he's up here. When he gets tired, it's on the floor. He is a significantly different fighter when he gets tired. Habib was saying he was gonna go in there and smash him. He was gonna go in there and make him tired because he taps all the time. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and say, hey, look at that. I'm not gonna sit here and say that Habib, excuse me, that McGregor is a front runner. I don't think that's true. I think he's shown heart, particularly in the second Diaz fight, to come back out. He looked good early in the fourth. But as I mentioned, like, did he fight well in parts? Yeah, he fought well in parts, but he was basically uh, overmatched. That was really the, the core issue here. So. Um, the point I want to kind of drive home about this, if I may, is in addition to the fact that you know he, he's a significantly compromised fighter uh, when he's tired, this is going to be something that we're just going to have to confront as a, as a real, true, unadulterated weakness at this point. Conor McGregor has much better wrestling than I think some folks give him credit. Conor McGregor has much better um, cardio. Uh, well, I should say he has much better commitment to being tired than I think folks give him credit. But in the end, he if you can get him tired, uh, he's just not the same. He's not the same. So Habib comes out laterally moving side to side, right? And he comes in. I'm going to show you on this video if we can find a way to get it to work. Unfortunately, we're, we're working through that now. I see old Joe down there looking sweating bullets down there. Huh, Joe? This is a live video, son. Point being is, he was going laterally side to side, right? And if you actually watch the first shot, he actually dives in on the left side. McGregor's standing, well, he's standing actually a little bit um, with his left leg forward. McGregor sprawls, which forces a late switch uh, on the part of uh, Habib to go to the other leg. And then there, the scramble ensues. Man, McGregor did really well there. He did really, really well there. I'm going to show you that hopefully in just a second. He was out there showing tremendous stuff. Um, but in the end... It just wasn't enough. Folks were saying, oh, he'd been training a year for Habib. A year is not enough. It's just, it's just totally not enough. It can't be. He was able to do pretty well through the first series of takedown attempts um, in open space. But once the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth level of it all began to reveal itself, that's when all the problems, that's when all the chinks in the armor, so to speak, began to show up. What are we going to do here? What's the word, Joe? You gonna try something? It's not working. No, no, because I have to be able to see it. There's no dice on this. Boy, this is terrible, huh? All right, well, <laughs> so there's no dice on this. Oh, y'all are killing me. This is a, this is a, this is an. Uh, you know what are you gonna do? You know what it is? It's my life. That's what it is. Uh, can we put it back on this one? Yes, thank you. Um, well, dagger. Let me think here on my feet about what to do. Da 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 da. da. Hey, uh, you know what you can do? Um, you can try hmm, to get my other laptop. Will that work? No, because I don't have the video on this one. 
Well, that's a nightmare. Um, okay. Yeah, you know what? This is this is a hopeless mess. <laughs> wow. What are we what are we gonna do? All right. Well, fuck it. Uh, let me think here. How do I want to salvage this on my feet? If there's any way to do that, let's see. Let me think here out loud. Um, let me say this. Let me just go through this footage on my in my head for just a second, if I can. I want you. I want you to imagine the first takedown sequence. I'm actually not going to give up on this. You know what? I'm going to. I'm going to fucking push through. Is what I'm going to do. Hear me out for just a moment. Hear me out. Let me. Let me do this. Hear me out for just a moment. Okay. What What is so important about this? I have to get through this. I can't. Even if I don't have the visual aid. Yeah. First takedown sequence. Habib shoots far outside. He dives for the right side, can't get it, actually ends up on the left. This is where McGregor looked his best. And you're going to see McGregor do a couple of things. He's going to never get himself to a hip, because once he gets to a hip, he's in trouble. He's always got that inside hook to the far side of McGregor's leg, excuse me, of Habib's leg, McGregor does. Because if he has that, he can't be taken down to a hip or turned over. Uh, and you're going to see him kind of block Habib's arms from coming, the one arm from coming across, because then he can just double off. It's a, called a crackdown. What Habib was trying to do from a high crotch to a crackdown, where you're just driving and always turning to your hip. Habib actually does not do a pretty good job of it. He went to the wrong leg. He had to switch at the last second. He tries to drive it down. He can't do it. And so what you end up seeing with him is there, McGregor defends it really well the whole time and really well the whole time. But what Habib did have, the hands locked. And when he has the hands locked, the strength in that position when your arms are out here to drive it here, his is unparalleled unparalleled, unparalleled amazement that he has, the strength to pull. So he ends up standing, and he pulls McGregor's leg up with him. McGregor's still got the inside one, but he's not pulling up on it, pulling up on it, pulling up on it. Why? Because if I can widen your base and I can spread it, I can then affect your balance. Then they start turning in a circle, right? Turning in a circle, turning in a circle. How does it end? Do you remember how it ends? I'll tell you exactly how it ends. Habib goes for another crackdown, driving it. Not a single leg running the pipe, a crackdown. They're different. He goes for the crackdown, and that's where McGregor makes his fatal mistake. Habib drives this way with this shoulder down, the right shoulder. At that point, McGregor still is able to stuff it, but what he needs to do with a crackdown is you actually have to end up sort of kind of taking the back a little bit. You have to get their shoulder past you, and then you come around the back. He made the mistake of sticking his leg behind him. Did you guys remember that? And at that point, that was over. That was over. Once he made that mistake of sticking his leg behind him, that's when he just decided he was going to not defend it anymore. And I think he probably thought he was still defending it because you think if I can just split my base and I can balance on my back leg, I'm good. What you're actually doing is you're now creating a weak plane to be taken behind you. At that point, Habib blocks with the right hand, lifts with the left, turns him over, and drives him to the mat. Why did he scoop the legs and pull them up behind it? And then why does he always turn this direction off the fence? Because he's trying to get the knees and the hips higher than the shoulders, and he's trying to drive McGregor's back to the mat. Go back and watch that. The question about McGregor's wrestling in that sequence is, what's the best part of that? The best part of it is, in open space, he was going takedown attempt with takedown defense, takedown attempt, takedown defense, and he knew what to do. You have to get behind the guy with, the, with the, your hands locked in sort of a C-grip over the back through the crotch. you got to stay on top. You have to keep tight. You have to get your, hips, your, 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 your chest down. You have to be on top of it. You have to get behind and block that tricep, that arm from coming across the body. He did all those things. But when, he, when, when, when they stood up and Habib was able to, to raise his leg again and then 
go back to the crackdown, it, he just, he, he couldn't keep up. He couldn't keep up. It's speed chess, and you're keeping up, and you're keeping up, and you're keeping up, and you're keeping up. And then finally, the rook, you know, takes queen or something, right? Whatever the analogy you want to use. So my, my response to that is, in looking at his wrestling, it's like, man, parts of that were really good, actually. And the, the quick awareness of what to do. But what I would say is, you just don't have enough to keep up with the scrambling over time with Habib. He's a very, very dynamic, committed scrambler. And the other part is, go back and watch Habib's shot. Remember, he reaches this way and ends up on this leg. What does that tell you? It tells you that McGregor recognizes the shot and sprawls, but he doesn't keep moving. He just sprawls and stays there, right? You gotta sprawl and move. Sprawl and angle, sprawl and angle, sprawl and angle. He never does it. He never does it. He just kind of sprawls. And then, as a consequence, Habib's able to get the leftover body parts. And once Habib has this, and he even had it up to his, like, forearm, it's lights out, man. Like, you're, not, you're, you're just not going to beat that guy with that. It's just never going to happen for you. Now, very quickly, I realize without the visual aid here, it's going to be a little harder to do. So I'm going to try and talk very quickly about the submission. First of all, he gets the takedown again, right, where he gets tight waist, kicks the leg out, and then he has he does this bit where he's getting his 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 uh, hands in the gable grip, and you can see uh, Habib driving his shoulder behind the other shoulder, like rolling into it and then leaning into McGregor, making McGregor put his hands on the mat. When his hands are on the mat, you're carrying everybody else's weight, and then you can from there you can off balance them or advance position with a variety of other attacks. You can then turn the direction and you can go up into go back and talk, look what we're talking about with Habib. Right when Habib was in there, he he goes to the right. He can't get it. Uh, Connor makes a mistake, right, and puts his leg behind him. And then what happens? He's able to go the other direction. So Habib is changing directionality the whole time. But eventually, you'll see he kicks it out. Uh, Connor goes to his hands and he does the same thing. He reverses position, drives him backwards, and takes him down. From there, he's able to drive to mount pretty quickly. Connor does a good hip escape there to to buy himself some time. Oh, look at this. Hey, look at that, Joe. MVP. Huh? MV Joe. All right, they got it working. Let's go back a little bit then. Boys, you just saved my day, huh? And I can't show the video. Don't worry, Zufa. I'm not going to show video. I'm just going to show slides. I'm not going to play any video. This is what I was talking about before. See him hanging on his hands? Look at McGregor here on his hands like that. It's awful. It's awful to be there. And it's not just that he's holding by the waist and driving into him and, and leaning down. He's driving kind of behind the head into the shoulder socket a little bit. If you, if you drive right over the top of that head, I think um, I want to say Kelvin Gastelum got this happened to him by Chris Weidman. You can actually turn somebody over. But, of course, he doesn't really do that, does he? He goes a bit the other direction. Let me see if I can find where it is. He's going to just turn around. Right here you see McGregor slump. And McGregor, by the way, doing a lot of fence grabbing with the toes, a lot of grabbing with the hands. People ask, oh, is that dirty? Yeah, of course. But if you've got this guy on top of you and you can tell each situation, like there can be times in grappling exchanges where you know it's, it's, it's just headed one direction. You know that this guy, you could put up a defense for a while, but they're going to find a way around it and they're going to get the, the water in the, in the room is going to get higher and higher and higher. You can feel it. You can feel it. And like, I think he felt that to be, to be quite clear about it. So here you can see he's got the, oh, by the way, Real quickly, he's got this elbow inside, which is right. That's the right thing to do. But you got to get it all the way across the body, and he doesn't have it. So he gets taken over here. Habib is able to just put his weight behind it. Again, Habib gets his hands together. <laughs> it's over for you. I don't care who you are. Uh, and he's going to take him backwards, right? Look here, and watch this transition. This is one of my favorite transition. Rolls him back. 
He's got the uh, he's got double unders, which is not necessarily the best grip to have, but he rolls him to the already strong side. He's already got a hook on this side, so he's going to roll him to the side with the hook. Then he's going to bring the free hook around, and McGregor tries to stuff it, which is the right thing to do, but it's not enough. Now McGregor's going to want to get his hips down like a baseball slide, and he's going to want to turn. And the reason why he's going to want to turn is because if he had the Marcelo Garcia over the top and then under the armpit, right? So the over the top comes, and then the one under the armpit uh, holds it. That's always how it is, right? The one coming over the top is like stabbing the heart. The other one is the securing of the stab. He doesn't have that. He's got both underneath. You can spin inside of that. McGregor knows that. Habib knows that. But in a fight, you've got to make some tough, tough choices, right? So what does he do here? He blocks the final hook for a moment. He gets pulled backwards here, and you're going to see, look at McGregor, try and step because he wants to avoid that hook coming over the top, and then he's going to try and find a way to reverse like this. You're going to see he's going to try, and I think he's going to bring that bottom knee through, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. I'm a little too far over. There we go. Let's see what he does here, frame by frame. Again, I'm not going to play the video one time. Now, Habib is trying to lock this up, and you can see what McGregor's going to do is actually a little bit different. He posts his feet on the ground. His hips are now in the air. He's going to try and turn because there's nothing actually controlling his shoulders there, right? You're, all, you're just on the rib cage. Nothing controlling the shoulders. Let me show you when this scramble is over. I'll, give you, I'll show you exactly when it's over. Ready? Right? Well, first of all, he's lost his feet. So you could argue here, but I would not say that. Now the scramble's over. Why is, it, why is that scramble over, Joe? Can you tell me? You can't tell me? That. He's already got his hips up. He's already off. He's already got uh, an arm around the side. He could probably move it up here to the side of the throat if he wanted to. But here's the real reason why he won. He got to his elbow first. If you get, uh, put yourself on the ground, just lay there, and then you can sit up and try to stand uh, without putting a hand or an elbow on the ground. Try to roll over to the side and try to like boost your hips over. Without that elbow, you can't do it. But with the, or not not as well, but with the elbow, that elbow there, that is going to give him the posting mechanism he needs to bring his hips on top. And when he does, he's going to move right into mount. Watch. McGregor's going to try and sit up. He's going to try and put his feet on the ground. And it doesn't matter. Look whose hips are already higher. And look, where's he posting? Off of his toe, off of his elbow. You can't beat that. The, the scramble's over already. He, he's dead already. He just doesn't know it. Yeah? Watch. He's going to come right up top. And you can see McGregor just getting... Look, I mean, look at that face. It's not a happy time, man. And Nurmagomedov just comes up on top. Now, he brings his base back a little bit, which allows the knees to come up inside. I'll advance past this because he kind of... They were talking about, like, oh, he's got halfway towards a head and arm triangle. Not really. I mean, that, that wasn't really true. But I want to go back and point out here, in all of these situations, who's dictating the, the position? Who's dictating where the position goes? Who's dictating the control? It's that guy. All right? Let's fast forward a little bit here. As I mentioned, uh, this is what I'm talking about. He's got the arm in, like, here. So there's no... There's, there's no choke there. And to get it out and to weave it back in would just be a little hard, so there's no choke there. Um, I don't really care about that. And you can see he's in three-quarter mount because the foot is still there. McGregor did a pretty good job of at least not, not totally giving up position. Um, here you can see him pass. Now, you're going to see McGregor use this elbow right here. He's going to put it against the hips, and he's going to try to get his hips passed, right, which he does right there. Now he's got like a knee shield, right, where the shin is across the hip. He's kind of got that a little bit there. Again, I don't have time to go into all of this, um, 
But here, here Habib is setting up for the beginning of the end, right? Sort of forcing him to pick his poison, which direction he wants to go. He's banging on him, right? And it's, let me, by the way, just look at the body language, right? This is a terrible scene. You know, you it's better to be on your hip than your back, so that's fine. But just look at the, and it's not that he's quit. It's not that. It's that he recognizes this is a terrible position with not a lot of easy ways to get to something good. Like, you can, you can read it in his body language. Habib is just all over him to the point where any choice he makes, he doesn't, like, literally, if you see someone on the ground and they're kind of not doing a whole lot except, like, defending, like, the real obvious stuff, it's because they don't really know what to do because if they make a choice, they don't want there to be a catastrophic counter. I think it's a little bit what you have here, plus fatigue. Uh, okay, so then he moves, he tries to buck and roll here, right, and then he moves to mount a little bit here, or uh, all the way up to mount. Now McGregor tries to roll to his base, yeah, you all see that? Now let's go back just a little bit here. How's this choke get set up? All right, here we are, McGregor goes to his base. Look at McGregor's hands with the blue gloves. Uh, yeah, it looks like Habib's hand, but it's not. Look at the blue hands, right? No defense whatsoever, none. He is using all energy available to merely post his weight, okay? You know, it's, 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 I, understand the, I understand that need, but if you do that against a guy like this, it, I don't have to say much after that. Now watch. He's going to come up, right? And he puts the forearm across the throat here. Not quite there. You can see the red gloves are going to, excuse me, the blue gloves are going to be the ones that you want to pay attention to because those are the ones that are going to be doing all the hand fighting. All right, Habib kind of rolls him off here a little bit to the side. And you can see here it is. He tries to drive that hand through, and it looks like he has, yeah, he wants to get a, so it actually would be this way, and he wants to get a gable grip, right? That's what he's looking for. All right, puts his head on top of the head. Why? Because even if it's an illegal shot, somebody can headbutt you. A lot of times people do rear naked chokes wrong all the time. Joe, you want to be on camera? You want to be choked? No? All right. A lot of people do rear naked chokes wrong all the time. They do the bicep grip, and then they kind of push their hand here. But if you put the hand where the palm is facing out, it's not nearly that strong of a position. People think you can push the head forward, but you really can't. Um, and you can get the knuckles smacked in your face, so it's kind of hurt. So you actually want to make a fist, have the knuckles in your the open palm face you, and then the head to the side, so it's this nice, tight, uh, controlled space. That's actually the way to do it. Now... That's an ideal scenario. If you're in a fight, a gable grip might be enough. Um, but here we go. So you can see him. He's not really hand fighting here, right? He's going to push up to his hands, and you're going to see Habib drop his lats and then kind of pull and twist a little bit here. Even though the choke is on the left side of the body, the choke is here, but he's kind of pulling here a little bit that way. You're going to see that. He's pulling up, too, and driving his hips in. McGregor puts one hand up and doesn't even really hand fight. Because I think he kind of knew um, that this was not going to go his way. Here's the other thing about this, and I'll explain it in just a second. You know, let's jump here a little bit, if we can, to the very end. So I can get a good look at the... Here, this is what I wanted to look at. Now, he didn't do a lot of hand fighting, McGregor, which folks might dock him for. Um, you could if you wanted to. Look at this submission. Folks are going to say, well, this is not a choke, and it's not, although it can become one. It's just a pain submission. But the reality is, this is no more, uh, no less of a pain submission than an armbar. What's happening here? He is squeezing the TMJ, the part of your jaw, and even down here, depending how it goes, where it fits into the groove. 
This this submission is a new thing because so many people were ducking their chin. Um, and you could say, well, if it is such a good submission, why even bother for the neck? Well, because the neck, if you get it right, you don't need to tap. They're gone, right? It's just a, it, you can just put them out. Um, with this one, you have to apply some serious pressure. And here's the interesting part about that. You notice he didn't tap right away. The reason why he didn't tap right away is when you first get this locked on, it hurts, but it's not that bad. But when you keep squeezing and you keep squeezing and you keep squeezing, at first you're like, I can live with this, I can live with this, I can live with this. And then you get to a point where you're like, I cannot live with this anymore. And by the way, you can get your jaw broken this way. It's very possible. You can break it down here. You can even break it right where it fits um, into the socket. It's a very, very, very painful, very painful choke or submission anyway. But it's just not painful. It's not peak painful at first. Like an armbar kind of goes zero to 60 a little bit. This one takes a second to set in, which is why you see he like doesn't, he pulls his hand up here, right? And you can see Habib kind of leaning over and pulling up a little bit. And then he just wants to tap. And look at that face. Look where he's getting pulled. He's getting pulled at the edge. He's, it's getting gable gripped and then pulled like a, like a razor across the top of a cutting board or something, right? And there it is. There's the tap. I, I wish I could have done more. We, have, we ran out of time. But I just want to point out here, this was a master class. I actually think he took the third round off. I know there's some debate about that on Twitter. I don't really think there should be. He came out and looked fresh as a daisy in the fourth round. I think he wanted to kind of see where things were in the third, dropping him in the second, and, of course, taking him down in the first. Real quickly, let me if I have just a minute. Yeah, I have just a minute. I want to show one thing. Here is that final sequence I was talking about. McGregor does so well here to defend, but this is where everything goes poorly for him, right? Look at this. He's got the leg across. That's going to stop him. He's got Tucky behind the, the tail to check in the oil there to, to keep his posture in the right position so he doesn't go too far down. He gets taken with a crack down, sort of, to his right. Watch this. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, guys. I know we got, we got, we got to get to Fedor. This part is all right. Kind of stuff in the head. Needs to be have his shoulders. You want to make sure that that arm doesn't get across. He needs to kind of be on top so he's, the grip here is not great. But really the key mistake for me is not that. It's this one. He gets up to the side, and then now that's it. Struggle over. Struggle over. Watch. Habib recognizes it, uses this hand to block this side, drives his weight underneath, turns him, and is going to pick him up. Look at, look at the left foot right here. Watch that come up. He's going to pick him up, drive, and look at the triangle. There's nothing protecting him here. Right? He puts the hand down, but there's nothing protecting him here. And he goes over. All right. And that's it. Look, picks him up and then takes him over. Look, there's nothing protecting him here. You can stop the first, you can stop the second, you can stop the third, you can stop all of those kinds of things. But in the end, if you just can't match this person over time, it's going to be a real bad day for you. That choke at the end, it wasn't in all the way as a choke choke, but as a pain submission, it was. It takes time to settle in. That's exactly what you saw. People talking about a rematch, he's going to need a long time in between the first and second fights if he wants to make up ground like this. This, to me, was not complete domination, but pretty damn close. Habib Nurmagomedov is the best 155-pounder in the world. Argument over. All right. Let's go to our next guest. I believe we got the last emperor in here. Let me go back to my seat. Yes? All right. Bring him in. Yeah? Let's do it, boys. Girls. Ladies. Donks. All right. Let me go to my seat while we wait. Here we are. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. You know. All right. You know what, Joe? I take my hat off to you, buddy. That was not easy, was it? You're out there sweating bullets. And by the way... By the way, we checked all that stuff ahead of time. So they're like, wow, you didn't do tech stuff. Also, I'll just say I'm kind of known as the guy who has terrible, 
who has terrible tech all the time. I'm the one who, you know, even my live chats I did for all those years, they were disasters, auditory disasters and everything else in between. All right, man. Um, I know it's uh, you, we're just basking in the glory of UFC 229, but, of course, Bellator is going to be uh, this weekend, and Fedor Milenko is going to be in the, uh, was it the semifinals now against Chael Sonnen? Uh, we have him here in studio. We're just waiting for that to uh, take place, and we'll bring him in. I want to ask him, of course, about uh, not only that fight, but about Habib as well. That should be kind of interesting. So let, let me know when we're ready to do that, yes? Well, I'm still good-looking, boys, because those days are fading fast. I think they're coming here. All right. Well, I don't, I don't really know what's... Yeah. Yes, I guess. All right. All right. We're still waiting. Let's do a round of tweets. Let's do it. I can't see the clock. All right. Here we go. Put the put the five minutes on the board. Is it up? All right. Hit it. As soon as it goes. There we go. All right, Luke. Will it come as a surprise to you if Habib gets a slap on the wrist by the Athletic Commission? The UFC ignores the post five buffoonery, and an immediate rematch is booked. Not even a little bit. In fact, that's the likeliest outcome. Uh, there might be some greater penalties uh, by the minimum standard. Like, they may not do the exact bare minimum. But I don't think, they, I mean, if the UFC didn't do anything about the Dolly, why on earth would they do anything about this? It's not in their interest to. And, uh, yeah, the commission, they want to make money. They'll probably make a little bit of a show of it. But, you know, look, they're like, oh, Canelo tested positive for two different kinds of prohibited substances. Your fight can take here, uh, take place here just a little delayed. All right, next one. What if they do a Ultimate Fighter, a.k.a. versus SBG season? Um, I won't watch it. Next. How much credit should Javier Mendez and a.k.a. take for this win? Not just this performance, but for turning everything around as we're known, uh, they were known as an injury team and for pulling up and now hold three belts in the UFC. Uh, not only that, they have champions. They had two different heavyweight champions in Kane and DC. They had a, another champion in D.C. at light heavyweight. They had Luke Rockhold at middleweight, and now they've got Habib Nurmagomedov at lightweight. And, of course, every fighter's success is a little bit dependent on their own circumstances. Uh, Habib, of course, has a separate team he trains with independently of AKA. Um, and AKA did some recruiting as well, right? They didn't just open up. I mean, they were a family gym for a long time, so a lot of their success is quite frankly remarkable, but they also did some recruiting. But the point being is for a, 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 a camp to have that many um to have that many champions, modern UFC champions, not like old school ones, I mean, that's basically unheard of, right? I mean, that's just totally, utterly remarkable. Uh, all right, next. Hi, Luke. Unblock me, please. <laughs> uh, Danny, make sure you save this tweet so I can unblock this gentleman later, okay? All right, next. Uh, wouldn't knowing we have a five-round Diaz Poirier fight for the 165 belt next, next month anyway, be so much more exciting. Yes, it would, Vanessa. And I can't believe there's a female viewer here of this show or any show in, in MMA. Um, yes, it would make a difference. But in the end, we are, we have what we have. I don't know what to say about it. We have what we have. All right. Go. Uh, number one, is this trash talk culture getting out of hand? Yes. Two, what role does UFC as an institution play when it comes to deciding what is right or wrong? How far is too far while promoting a fight? Man, that's a much more complicated question that we can use, frankly, in this segment. It's a very, very good one. Here's what I would say, though. I wouldn't expect much. Dana White has been pretty clear. You can kind of say whatever you want for the most part. Um, I think someone's going to run up against that limit. I mean, can you really, like, if you wanted to, could you call someone the N-word? 
I don't think you, I don't think you could. So there, I, I, there must be some kind of limit on it. But for the most part, there's no real limit on it. And remember, they had a code of conduct. You know, when Matt Mitrione said those things about Fallon Fox, they they began to hammer punishments down. And Nate Diaz got fined by the code of conduct. Those days are over. They still have a code of conduct, but I don't think they really enforce it very much. And I don't think they want to run into problems related to independent contractor versus employee by making them wear certain um, clothing. And then now you have this code of conduct for your behavior at all times, whether you're on the job or not. So um, I would not expect much in the way of leadership. Next. Let's see. Um, Why didn't Herb Dean disqualify Habib? I've seen regional fights where the winning fighter got DQ'd for unsportsmanlike behavior right after they finished their opponent. Was a bit surprised when Bruce Buffer announced Habib the winner. It's a great question. I have no idea. That's a great question. You're right. I've seen that, too. I didn't even think about that. Huh. Good one. Uh, you know what? We'll try to ask him. How about that? Next. Uh, did you guys know that Derek Lewis's Instagram followers doubled since his fight and Rogan mentioning his IG on the broadcast at UFC 229? He's approaching 1 million followers at the moment. Before UFC 229, he had between four and 500K followers, if I'm not mistaken. I did not know that, but if there's a better person who deserves more attention, I don't know who that is. Um, that would 100% go, I mean, what, what a great guy he is. What a great guy he is. So, good for him. Next. Up or under $5 million pay-per-view buys in Connor versus Habib, too. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means, $5 million. You mean, would they make $5 million? They make $5 million easy. You mean $5 million pay-per-view buys? No, it still wouldn't do $5 million because you would have to do a big-ass tour for that. And, by the way, Connor played it right in his way. You know, he tries to affect everybody. Um, Habib played it right in his way, too. All right, last one. Let's do it. Uh, in spite of anyone's personal opinion of the out-of-competition brawl fest, how much do you think Habib's actions diminished his in-cage performance and perhaps mitigated a lot of the hit uh, Connor's Q rating might have taken? I think it actually did make a difference. Yeah, if you really go back and look at the footage, there are some things, as I mentioned, where, very good, McGregor looks pretty good, but most of the time it was one-way traffic and... There's not a lot of discussion about it. All right, let's bring him in now. He is the last emperor, perhaps the greatest heavyweight to do it. He'll be fighting, I think, this weekend, if I'm not mistaken, in the semifinals of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. It's always an honor to have the last emperor in here. Let's bring him in now. There he is. Hey, look at that. All right. How you doing, sir? Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Hi there. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm Luke. Nice How are you? Nice to meet you. you? All right. Nice to meet you. No Mike Kogan this time, Fedor? No. <laughs> Where's Mike? Tatiana. Tatiana is me. Okay, all right. How are you doing, sir? Nothing okay. Thank good. You. Are you excited about Saturday? Mm-hmm. How do you feel physically? Very good, thank you. Yeah? Thanks, God. Yeah? Did you, are you, is, where is all your training? Is it still all in Russia? Ну, подготовка была в два этапа. Первый этап был в России, в Старом Москве, а второй в Голландии. The camp actually consisted of two stages. The very first stage was in Russia, and the second one was in Holland. Holland. Do you like Holland? Нравится в Голландии. Yeah, I like Russia. You like Russia? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What's wrong with I love Holland? What's wrong with Holland? А ему нравится Голландия. Что не так с Голландией? Мне нравится тренироваться. Там хорошие люди меня окружают. I like to train in Holland, and there are a lot of good people around me there. Но моя жизнь, скажем, в Голландии заключается спортзал, дом, дом, спортзал. But my life in Holland that mostly gym, home, home, gym. Fair enough. Okay. I have to ask you about the brawl that happened over the weekend. What did you make of, of that craziness? 
Надо спросить, конечно, о том, что в эти выходные случилось вот это совершенно сумасшедшее UFC 229. Я не смотрел, к сожалению. Ничего не могу сказать по этому поводу. Unfortunately, I didn't watch it. I cannot say anything about that. Did you hear about it? А слышал, по крайней мере. Слышал. Yes, I did hear about that. Do you think it's, I mean, what are people saying in Russia? Is it a, do they care? Is it a bad look? Does it, does it matter? А что в России вообще люди говорят? Что-нибудь они говорят, как-то выглядело хорошо или плохо вообще? Значит ли это что-нибудь? Ну, лучше я уже здесь с четверга, поэтому... Well, actually, I arrived to United States on Thursday. Oh, okay. All right. So you just got here, yes. Or something like that. Недавно прибыли уже сюда. But, um... Let me just ask this as a general question, as an abstract question. Is it, will, 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 a, will, a, will a riot at a UFC fight with a Russian fighter, will that have any implication for what happens in Russia, in Russian MMA? Like, are the two events related at all? Does that make sense? Two events, you mean UFC event and... Will that riot have any impact for the sport in Russia? Ну, вот эти вот соревнования, они как-то отражаются на развитии, на спорте вообще в России? Какие конкретно? Which, which events? Habib, Habib jumping out of the cage and а then attacking Connor's teammates. То, что Хабиб выпрыгнул из клетки и то, что он атаковал э, людей. Ну, я не могу по этому поводу сказать, потому что я говорю, у меня не было еще в России. Well, I cannot say anything about that, and I don't know actually what was the reaction because right. I was not in Russia at that very time. All right, be curious to know and find out. By the way, have you spoken, you've spoken a couple times with uh, Vladimir Putin, right? А вы же общались, вы пару раз разговаривали с Владимиром Путиным, да? Пару раз. Yeah, a couple of times. He calls you after you win? А когда вы выигрываете, он вам звонит? Нет. No. No? Oh, really? Правда. When does he call you? Я часто меняю номера, поэтому... Well, I change my telephone numbers very often. It's not very easy, actually, to catch me on the phone. Why do you change your numbers so often? Почему вы меняете так часто ваши номера? Потому что корреспонденты узнают. И нежелательные люди, поэтому я... Because of media, because of media correspondence, they find out the numbers, you know, very fast. Some people, right, and some people would actually not... How many phone numbers have you had in the last five years? А сколько за пять лет раз вы поменяли телефон? Сколько у вас было телефонных номеров? Ну пять номеров было. About five, maybe. Okay, one a year. That's not so bad. Раз в год. That's not so bad. All right, let's talk about your fight coming up. You're taking on Chael Sonnen here. You know, again, I'm sure you saw at least you've heard of Connor. He plays all these mind games against the B, but it didn't really work. It actually backfired. Habib was fired up, ready to go. Chael has said some things about you. Do you ignore it? Are you aware of it? What, 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 what relationship do you have to the trash talk about you from him? Ну, вот мы видели то, что произошло вот в бой между Хабибом, между Конором, сколько у них было до этого перепалок словесных, и как это сыграло вообще, и как это повлияло на выход Хабиба, он вышел весь такой готовый. Каково ваше отношение вот о том, что чел говорит о вас, вот о всякой такой, о вещах, которые он говорит о вас? Well, I have very smooth attitude to that. Smooth attitude? Like it doesn't bother? То есть вас это никак не беспокоит? Not at all. No, it doesn't. Has it ever, like at any point in his career, any opponent say, like Noya Ogawa refusing to shake hands? Right? I remember that pretty clearly. А когда-нибудь вообще это задевало вас? Когда-нибудь это отражалось на вашем настрое? 
Нет, абсолютно никогда. No, it never actually influenced, never, you know, affected my Если camp, вы... my preparation. Нет, конечно, нет. Это не надо, не надо обращать на это внимание. No, because, I mean, you just don't need, you don't have to, you don't need to pay attention at that. Um, what is this fight about for you? Что этот бой значит для вас? Возможность выхода в финал. That gives me the possibility to get to the finals. Certainly, first of all, I perform and I represent my country and perform for my country and I glorify my faith as well and my country. I see. So that's what the fights are about because, you know, when you get, when someone like you comes around and they're a legend in the game, every time they fight, there is this big, I don't know how you say it, literary narrative about him. Oh, what does this mean? What are the implications? What does this fight mean for him? It sounds like what he's saying is it means an athletic competition, no more, no less, and then his personal values being on display, right? Но когда выступают вот легенды, всегда все задаются вопросом, что для него это значит, насколько это важно. Но вот для вас то, что вы участвуете в соревнованиях, то, что вы выступаете, это больше как участие в соревнованиях, для вас это насколько важно? Ну, конечно, для меня это очень важно. It is very important for me. Я являюсь представителем своей страны. Because I'm the representative of my country. Там уже единственным из своей страны в этом гран-при. And I'm the only one representative of my country in this very grand prix. Mm. So it's about okay. It's about representing who you are. больше для вас это участие, это то представлять вот кто вы есть. Ну, я думаю, люди знают, кто я есть. Well, I think people do know who I am. Sure, of course. Конечно. What do you make about the other side of the bracket? You've got Matt Mitrione and Ryan Bader. We'll talk to Ryan Bader a little bit later. Do you have any thoughts about who, you, who might win that one? Вы думали об Бейдере и Митриона? Думали ли вы для себя, расставляли ли какие-то приоритеты? Что там будет с этим боем? Нет, пока нет. Я думаю, еще рано. Все будет ясно только после моего боя. I didn't think about that. Uh, I haven't thought about that yet because everything will be clear after my fight. Not, 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 not hopeful for a Mitrion rematch? Ну, нет ли у вас какой-нибудь, не питаете вы надежд по поводу ремача с Митрионом? Если Бог даст ему победить, я буду рад ремачу. If it God's will to win, I will be happy. Если, естественно, Бог даст мне победить тоже. Uh, if it's God's will for him to win and for me to win, so I'll be happy to have a rematch. How is Russian MMA today? Is it healthy? Как сегодня развивается русский MMA? Как там все хорошо? Да, слава богу, все хорошо. Everything is great. Огромное количество ребят, занимающихся, желающих выступать и по любителям, и которые любители переходят в профессионалы, и также несколько хороших бойцовских лиг. Uh, которых ребята выступают, реализуют, реализуют себя. Также любители ребят переходят профи, бьются за границей очень удачно, успешно. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of kids, there are a lot of boys, you know, who are eager to go to MMA. So there are a lot of them in amateur sport and professional sport. There are a lot of amateurs who go to professional sport. There are a lot of good different leagues uh, and where they have really very good fighters and also the leagues, uh, the representative of these leagues, they perform abroad as well, so it's developing. What's the biggest change in Russian MMA since you fought in Pride? 
какое, какое было самое большое изменение в жизни ММА в России с тех пор, как вы сражались в Прайде? В России какое изменение? Да. In, in Russia. In Russia, yeah. in Russia. В России, да. То есть, безусловно, он растет. Ну, конечно, популярность растет. Но так случилось, что когда проект прекратил свое существование, бои больше стали показывать по ТВ. Даже те же бои проекта. Вот, естественно, популярность значительно выросла. Well, certainly the popularity of MMA grows a lot, and uh, after the end of Pride, somehow it happened so that they started showing more fights, even from Pride, on TV, mm. and the popularity, you know, getting bigger. What's your weight today? Какой сегодня ваш вес? Я думаю, где-то 108. 108 килограмм. Yeah, well, I think something about 108 kilos. 108 kilos. How do you, in your mind, what's your best weight for performance? По вашему мнению, какой для вас самый лучший вид, самый лучший вес, чтобы выступать для боя? Для меня самый лучший вес, тот, которым я себя хорошо чувствую, когда я дышу. И... Я, не... я не привязываюсь к весу, я не регулирую особо. Я стараюсь нагружаться физически максимально, работать с весами, с тяжелыми спортсменами, атлетами. Вот. А вес уже такой, какой он есть под, под бой. Well, uh, actually, the best weight for me, this is the weight when I feel myself really comfortable. 108 when I kilos? Can... 108, где-то. More or less, something like you know, that? I'm not, I, you, you know, I don't... Я чувствовал себя хорошо и 105 килограмм. Ten years ago, I felt really very good when I was 105 kilos. For okay. me, good weight means the weight when I feel comfortable, when I can breathe good. That's why when I exercise, when I work out, you know, I work a lot with weights. You know, I, you know, just have sparrings with heavy weights as well. You know, so, but I'm not like really concentrated. I'm not trying to hold some certain weight. Does he do a, like, does he, okay, you do kettlebells, right? You know kettlebells? Kettlebells. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you, okay, do you do any kinds of primary lifts? Bench, <laughs> deadlift, squat, anything like that? Do you know these terms? No? Sorry. Oh, dagger. I was trying to see if, can, can, okay, I don't know how you translate it. The deadlift, does he, does he deadlift? That's the name of the term. Do you know, do you know a Belkin? The power lifter, Belkin? Do you do any of those things? No, I'm not a lifter. I'm not a lifter. Yeah, I take less weights. Okay, all right, fair enough. What are you expecting from... Not to be really tired and exhausted. Yeah, I understand. Plus, if you take into consideration, I'm 42 already. You know what? But you're a, you're a healthy 42. Healthy as a horse. That's just the appearance, the outside, the picture. All right, fair enough. But in fact, certainly, I mean, to tell the truth, I work a lot with heavy weights as well. Если я хочу, если ты хочешь биться на уровне, то, конечно, должен уступать и молодежи в той же подготовке те же. Because if if you want to keep and to fight on the certain level, certainly you have to be on the same level as you know young sportsmen are. 
Может быть, в Голландии мы потренируемся и тяжелые веса поднимаем вместе. Как это? Что ты ожидаешь от него в субботу? Ну, что он выйдет и будет биться достойно. Well, I'm expecting him to come out and to fight on the good, very good level. Anything in particular? А что-нибудь примечательного, особенного? Особенного будет только в бою смотреть. Anything particular we'll have to see in the fight, yeah. during the fight. What gets you the most excited? Like what, 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 anything. What gets you to like stand and cheer? Что больше всего вас приводит вот возбуждение или там заставляет нервничать, вот стоять и болеть за это, и там самое такое эмоциональное? Когда бьются мои бойцы, когда бьются, ну, из команды, когда я, ну, секундирую. I get really very excited when the fighters from my team fight, when I'm the corner man for my team. All right, I believe that. All right, let's try this. Favorite movie. What's Fedor's favorite movie? These are Russian movies. You don't know. Give me a name. I can watch it. I can <laughs> watch it. <laughs> it's not very often that I watch movies. There is a very good Russian movie, The Island. Okay. Ну, какой-нибудь на мировом уровне. Кстати, русские, русские авторы это мировой уровень. Это топ мирового уровня. Russian authors, that's a world scale. Sure. World's authors. No doubt, no doubt. I'm not, I don't level. deny it. I don't deny it. Не отрицаю. Favorite um, uh, either musical uh, act or musician or something related to music. Favorite, favorite kind of music, maybe. Любимая музыка или музыкант, музыкальный... Yeah. Something Russian, I'm guessing. Ну, я так думаю, что что-то русское. Я слушал сам духовную музыку. Я обычно слушаю русскую музыку. Можно привести сербскую певицу, как она, так сказать, исполнительницу, Дивна Любовьевича. And also Serbian, the Serbian singer, Dina Дивна Любоевич. Дивна Любоевич. Perfect. How many more times do you think you'll fight in America? Any way to say? Сколько, сколько еще раз вы думаете, вы будете биться в Америке? Есть что сказать? Сколько Бог даст? Uh, as many times as God will give to me. Is there any... How, how about this? Years more? Potentially? Potentially. Uh, ну, потенциально года, думаете? Сколько, сколько лет? Сколько лет? 
А я вже сюди скоро на костелях буду виходити. А вони все будуть хотіти, щоб я дивився. Very soon it seems like I will be leaving this very place with crunchers and you still want me to fight. Yes, yes. I'm unfair. I'm so sorry. Uh, last thing about this, and I mean this sincerely. Um, it, it is a weird time for um, Russian-American relations, unfortunately. Do you feel any of that? Um, I'm hoping you don't, of course. It would be terrible if you were. But there's this weird tension happening between our countries, which is really unfortunate, but... Сейчас вот какое-то очень странное время во взаимоотношениях между Россией и Америкой. Это вот на вас как-то отражается? Ну, хотелось бы, конечно, чтобы это на вас не отражалось, но вы как-то это чувствуете? Чувствуете ли вы, может быть, что вы вот жертва вот этих отношений сейчас или как? Нет, на мне, слава богу, никак это не отражается. Ну, конечно, я переживаю. Переживаю за наши народы и то, что происходит между нами. Это, конечно, ну, далеко не, 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 не хорошо. Well, the relationship right now in between Russia and America, that doesn't affect me. But certainly to tell the truth, I really feel very sorry for that relationship. And I do uh, feel sorry for um, the very tense relationship in between our two nations, you know, because this is what's going on right now. This is not good. Well, you know what is good? It'll be in the cage on Saturday. In the main event. Taking on a, an American, so you might just ratchet up the tensions, Fedor. Thanks a lot. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, but it's good to see you back. Thank you so much for stopping by. I wish you nothing but the best of luck on Saturday. Thank you very much. All right. By the way, where's the sweater? No sweater? Yeah, it was taken. It was taken? Забрали? Ну, не то, чтобы забрали. It was not like taken. You just lost it. But for me, it's not a big difference. It doesn't matter if it exists or not. Да, его Беллатур продаст, а деньги пойдут на Беллатур. But what... Желающий, кто захочет, тот приобретет его. What will happen to the sweater? Bellator will sell it on charity auction. Ah, okay. And the money will go for charity. So anybody who would like to participate, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you. I'll see you on Saturday. All right. There he is, Fedor. Greatest heavyweight of all time right there. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'm sorry about asking about the deadlift, but it is a real thing. No problem. I will check on that. Okay. I really appreciate that. All right, and we go from uh, one Bellator uh, heavyweight to another. We have Ryan Bader here, who, of course, is going to be taking on Matt Mitrione, I believe, the day before. So this should be kind of interesting. Uh, let's get Mr. Bader up on in here, and we'll do that now. He's coming? I, told, I was told he was mic'd up. Let's do this. Darth is here. Uh, does he still go by that name? We'll find out. There he is. Sorry, I couldn't even see anything. Look at that. How are you? Sir? Yeah, good to see you. Good, good. Likewise, Likewise, can you believe you, you didn't, know didn't know what the deadlift was? was? I was terribly, I was terribly disappointed by that. Uh, out, so you, I see you got, I see the, you got eight the eight man strong, strong on. I do. Those are the powerlifting power guys, yeah. right? They're big, They're big time, time MMA guys, guys too? Yeah, so they got into, got into the We've MMA. We've seen it more and more. Yeah, they, got, they want to get you know into that space. They, they want to be just in that, you know, powerlifting. Yeah, the lift angry thing. Yeah. Okay. You're going to be facing Matt Mitrione, Bellator 206, correct? Correct. Uh, this will be this weekend. Uh, 207, excuse me. 207 is when you're going to be taking I got the wrong number there. Um, how are you feeling about it, man? It was a bit, it's been a bit of a layoff. Not, would you call it a layoff between your last fight? 
No. No, not really. I was the last fight in the first round, so yeah. I've I fought most recently, you know. So I've been, I've just been training the whole time, knowing it's a tournament style format. I've I've just been keeping on it, going from May. I went right into June, started training July, you know, August, and here we are. Yeah. Um, I just feel I feel great, feel the best I've ever been. Um, I don't think there's a point in my career where I I knew who and basically when I was fighting beforehand. It's usually like, all right, you fight, do whatever you want for a little while. And then you get a name and a date. Right. So I knew that beforehand, okay. so it's easier. You know, you're in a weird position, right? Because let's think about it for a second. You just had Rory McDonald, a supreme talent. He jumped up a weight class. It did not go very well for him. But the truth is, I look at this tournament and I'm like, I think Ryan's the prohibitive favorite. How how difficult is it to navigate weight and to know when when is it you a, a task you can handle and when is too much? When when are you biting off more than you can chew? You know, in this tournament, you know, Matt's, Matt's one of the bigger guys, right? Um, but at the end of the day, he's going to be 10, 15 pounds heavier than me. Uh, he, if he comes in at low 240s like he was talking about um, on social media. And so for me, you know, I got up to 238, 239 this camp. Um, I'm sitting right around 230, 235. Damn. You know, so for me, it, I think it's, uh, you know, between light heavyweights and heavyweights, we can, a lot of us can be considered a heavyweight regardless. You know, we'll cut down. I'll cut down from 230 to 205. You know, so for me, it's not really a big jump. You know, I, I have certain attributes that I feel I bring to this heavyweight tournament that some of the heavyweights don't have. You know, that cardio, um, the quickness. And one thing that Matt's used to having over other people is that speed and that athletic ability, you know, which I have also. Plus, I have the cardio. I have some of the best cardio in the uh, light heavyweight divisions, let alone the heavyweight division. No, it really is true. What, what did you make of that fight, by the way? Did I, I thought Musasi would win. I was just like, let's say they're equally skilled. One guy's bigger. It's just going to be for him. I didn't know how it was going to go. I did not expect that. That was that was a that was all one way traffic. Yeah, you know, Rory said he just wasn't in it, um, and that happens in fights. You know, you go in and uh, yeah, it happened to you before. It, yeah, it happened to me. Um, just game planning and and you train so so long to do a certain thing, and then everything goes out the window. You know, um, uh, for me, it was like Anthony jo uh, Johnson fight. I went in there and shot a terrible shot, you know, right away. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where you don't show up and then, you know, Musasi's fought like heavyweight, middleweight, you know, he, he's a big All boy still, place, yeah. yeah. So um, I was surprised how it went. Um, but at the same time, you know, some people have off days also, a combination of both. Um, but they're both they're both studs, you know, and a uh, um, cool fight to see. It really was. Uh, in, in terms of that, like, is there any way to calibrate that for you on, or any, any other athlete on fight day? I mean, it sounds like sometimes you just show up and you're like, oh, shit, I don't mm -hmm. know what I'm doing here. There's no way to head that off. There's it's, no it's routine. It's, you know, having the same routine every time, knowing, all right, you know, for me, it's like, all right, I have a certain, it, it's kind of dumb stuff, but I have to have my, uh, you know, a sweet potatoes that I take and I, and I eat at a certain time because I know I'm going to be hungry and my stomach's going to feel weird right before a fight. So it's just uh, trial and error, and I've had 30-plus fights where I got to, I've got to uh, uh, figure out what works the best for me, um, but at the end of the you know end of the day, I know usually ninety eight percent of the time, I sh when when the bell rings, we touch gloves when we start fighting, that I show up, you know, and so I I fall back on that every time. Uh, but some days you don't feel the best, you know, you get up and and, and you're kind of sluggish, you're trying to get that going, um, and it's just kind of pushing through it. How do you feel with Beltor? I mean, you, your, your fight with King Mo went about as well as possible. Here you are in this heavyweight tournament. They're taking you all to do all the rounds, all yeah. the shows. You get to wear your own sponsors. Yeah. It sounds like you don't have any regrets, huh? No, I'm loving it. I'm having fun. You know, uh, 
I came over to, you know, still fight the best guys in the world. You know, I came over, beat Phil Davis, who's arguably top three across, you know, any of the promotions. In New York City. Um, yeah, in Madison Square Garden, you know, huge, huge card. Um, and then for me, it's just being able to do things like this. You know, I get asked, hey, you want to jump in this heavyweight tournament for the heavyweight belt, and you get to keep your light heavyweight belt, and we'll see what happens after that. I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. You know, so that's what I love about, you know, being over here. It, it's, I can do things like this. You know, I'm, uh, I'm fighting Matt Mitrione, you know, here coming up on Friday, and we're in a Grand Prix, you know, and we got Fedor and Chelsea Sonnen on the other side. You know, it, it does, it, uh, it, it's huge. You know, I get to go try to be a, a two-division champion. What did you make of that brawl on Saturday? It was crazy. That was wild, right? Yeah. These Dagestanis, they don't play around, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it was great for the sport, um, but I don't think it was necessarily the end of the world either. You know, you got a, a potential rematch in the making, which is even bigger than the, that fight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff done for the lead-up to that fight with Connor and, and the bus incident, and then... You know that's part of the that's part of the whole show and the promos and all that. They add that into the storyline, and then you know when that you know when Khabib jumps over and there's there's a fight and brawl between the teams. You know that why wasn't that expected? You Have know? you ever been involved in even on the regional scene anything like even close to that? No, not no, not close to that. You know there there's times when you're cornering people and there's like words or something like that, but there never has it gone into a full on brawl. Yeah. I've been. Uh, you know, a couple of buddies have been at a fight where they fought, you know, in, in a rough crowd and, you know, at one of those small regional bar shows and Fun. Uh, melee, you know, started happening <laughs> and guns got pulled out and stuff. Oh, but, Jesus, really? Um, that's where I can go, you know, yeah. at one of those shows. So uh, try to stay away from that. Tournament, you don't have to worry about any of this trash talk, right? I mean, on some level, it's like, look, it's just bracketed. You all already know what's going to happen. It's already set up. Yeah. The future's already, I mean, you have to make your own future, but in terms of the path, it's kind of all does it for you. Yeah, you don't have to vie for a fight. You don't have to sit there and get on the mic and say, "Hey, I want to fight Fedor. I want to fight Chael, or this and that." You know, it's 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 a bracket. It's what I'm used to. I, I grew up in a bracket sport. You know, in wrestling, yeah. you win, right? That doesn't talk, and you move on, right? Right. You know, and so that's what I like about uh, you know about this whole tournament for the heavyweight championship. Because if there wasn't, it's you know nowadays it's who gets a who gets the title shot. You know who's going to bring the most eyeballs? Who's going to talk the most shit? You know who's going to do Are that? Are you glad you're like you're not part of that? Yeah, you know I, I just want to represent you know the MMA community you know professionally and have some integrity in it. You know and I get you know stuff's going to happen and I get the shit talking. You know and I, I enjoy it. I like listening to it. You've done some of it. I've done some of it. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying I I'm, I don't. Right. Um, but a lot of it it's just shit talking. Just do it because that's the mo. You know and even though there's respect, it's like all right, what are we going to stir up? You know. Um, but at the same time, it's fun and it, and it sells fights. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we we want the sport to to be a mainstream professional. You know, there's still people out there that look at the sport and see what happened on Saturday night and say, "See, I told you, these yeah. guys are." You know, my thing is, it's like it, you didn't you didn't get enough of your lust for violence with with fist fighting, like four, in four a, rounds, right? Know, for, it's like it's like <laughs> that wasn't that didn't quench your appetite. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know really what would at some point. A um, couple more things about this, uh, if I may. The Cormier fight. I know you and him had words back in the day. Yeah. Any not regret exactly, but any part of you still wishes that was a possibility? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, he's a competitor. He's a great champion, great competitor. He always has been his whole life. Um, and for me, you know, he's the same way. I'm the same way. I want to test myself against the best. 
And, you know, for, you know, he's a, he's a double champ right now, heavyweight and light heavyweight over in the UFC. And yeah, I wish I would have got that fight. You know, I was trying for that fight, um, you know, for, for a long time. And, uh, were you surprised he beat Stipe? Um, you know, I trained with Stipe a little bit, a couple of days before that fight. And, uh, um, it was a little bit of a surprise, but at the same time, both those guys are, are studs or they're champions in their own right, you know? And so for it to go either way, you know, I thought Stipe might've had a little size on him, but then when he came in heavier than him and, and whatnot, and you know, he has that wrestling he can go to at any point, you know? And so that's how he set it up. You know, he was setting it up with a, you know, pummeling how that underhook came over, boom, you know? So I wasn't too surprised if any of them won. Where do you think you would be if you had stayed in the UFC? Like right here, you're in you uh, in Bellator, as I mentioned, you beat Mo Wall. Phen- I mean, what was that? 15 seconds, something like that. Yeah, something crazy quick, and you beat Phil Davis. It was a tough fight, but you got it done. You won the belt. If you were like, because for example, there's this talk about Musashi. It's like yeah. you know, he's in Bellator, but that might be the best middleweight in the world. Yeah. Where do you think you rank all time? Not all time, but among active competitors. Sitting Musashi. there right now. Yeah. Um, I think I'd be, you know, it depends what Gustin was doing, where they want to put him, but I think I'd be one of the number one contenders, you know? For sure. Um, I beat the guy that's ranked number three, you know, um, and OSP's in there, you know, and a couple of the guys, but it's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I was always right there, but I think I'd be, you know, right under Cormier, you know, Gustin being out, having fought so long, you know, they always like to put him above me because of the fight, the bigger fights that he had, but. I'd be right there. Let's think about this. John Jones is probably going to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. You fought him back in the day. Uh, do you think he'll, there'll be a drop-off or no? With John? I don't know. He came out and looked great. His, his last fight was sure did. You know? Yeah. Um, be, getting older doesn't necessarily mean you're dropping off either. I feel the best I've ever felt. I'm 35 years old. Wow. Um, mentally and physically. Um, the time off, though, you know, I, I assume he's training, but you never know. So... A third fight with uh, Cormier and John Jones. Cormier was looking good in that fight until you know uh, John set him up with that kick. Yep. You know, so it's it's one of those things. I'm not. I don't think he's going to fall off too too much. And then I feel the 205 pound division is pretty weak over there. And so you're going to have, you know, when Cormier retires, you're going to have John Jones, Gustafson, you know, and then there's a few others in there that are that are super tough. But it's a very shallow division. Let's talk about your fight. You got Matt Mitrione coming up. He is a big guy, man. I've seen. I, I talked to him a couple times. Not a not a small person. Mm-hmm. Um, so neither are you, of course. That's the yeah. interesting part about it. When you size him up, quite literally, what do you what do you envision as? These are my responsibilities. These are my tasks to win. What are those? You know, for me, um, if you're, uh, I think any MMA fan, especially looking at his last fight or whatnot, if you look at his record, he's never fought a wrestler. I mean, you can call Roy Nelson a wrestler. But he's never fought a dynamic, explosive wrestler. Not only that, I have power in both my hands. I can knock you out. I can take you down. I can grind you out. I can finish you on the ground. You know, and uh, I kind of look at it as a uh, um, Linton Vassell fight a couple fights ago when I defended the belt against him. He's a big boy. He's 250 now. He is a big guy. You know, he's, he's, uh, he, he's a big boy, um, you know, and, and controlling him. And, you know, I feel he has better jiu-jitsu than that. Um, ended up getting my position and, and finishing him on the ground. You know, um, but that being said, Matt is very, very talented. He's a great fighter. Um, I think his biggest as- at- attribute is his mind. You know, he, he thinks he's going to win. He goes out there and, and uh, believes in himself. You know, he's very quick on his feet. Uh, he moves around well. He's got a good right hand. You know, I, I think he's um, not really a natural southpaw, 
but um, you know, it's one of those things where you've got to be ready. You know, um, he has a lot of first round finishes. Right. Um, but for me, I'm willing to go to that place. Not a lot of people like to go. That's what I'm saying. I have some of the best conditioning at the light heavyweight division, let alone the heavyweight. I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to, if need be, grind it out on the feet, on the on a uh, mat, wherever on the ground. Um, so for me, it's just uh, just putting those things together. Who wins, Fedor or Chael? I usually I usually pick a, a, a fighter when I get asked that, but I have no <laughs> idea on this fight. It's a tough call. It's a tough it? call. Yeah, um, you know, Chael's a wrestler, and I always kind of lean towards wrestlers. But Fedor is, uh, you know, he's one of those those unknowns where he can come in and just I you thought, know, knock honest, your block I, off I right thought, away. I thought Frank was going to win. I thought the size and everything. And nope, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just. And what Fedor has too is you get in there and you're you're across the cage from him. You're like I'm fighting Fedor right now, you know. And I think Chael might have a little bit. Um, so I think it's just one of those fights where for me it's fifty fifty. Whoever implements our game plan, if if Chael can go out and get three takedowns, one around, I think he wins. If 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 uh, Fedor stuffs two of his shots at, right at the beginning, I think it's Fedor's fight. What about Fedor's guard? He's got a, he's got a, he's got dynamic hips for a big guy underneath. Absolutely, um, I just don't know if we've seen it In a while. recently, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's I think that's the biggest factor. Ken Chell take him down and hold him down. Basically, that's how he's going to win. Or if he gets taken down, Fedor pops back up and keeps doing that. That's it's Fedor's fight all night. Did you think uh, Habib was going to beat Connor like that? I did. Yeah, his wrestling is just. It's another level. Yeah, it's crazy. I was just, uh, you know, if he him going in there and thinking he can strike, you know, with, with Connor, him. and he dropped him, though. But then getting confident, confidence from that and then staying in the pocket like he kind of was, you know, you got to be careful with Connor. But uh, then he, he fought a perfect fight and kind of uh, just kind of drug him down, drug him down, emptied that gas tank a little bit, less pop on Connor's punches. Almost knocked him out, yep. and then ended up finishing the fight. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, before you go, are you still doing work with veterans? I know you have for a long time. Yeah, we usually do something you know all the time, and I think this time we'll take uh, we'll take these uh, some veterans out for a little pheasant hunt and, and show them a good time. I just like to get involved in that. I've been uh, to a ton of different events where I've I've heard the stories, I've, I've met to people, and it, it's uh, uh, it's the least I can do in my position, you know, so I try to give back whenever I can. Is there any particular, um, if folks want more information about how to get involved in the lives of veterans and help them, what, what do you think is a good way that they could do that? I mean, I always liked uh, Brian Stan's Hire Heroes. Um, I, I was with them for one fight, and I walked out with a shirt, and it was a cool experience as Brian got a call from a, a veteran that hadn't had a job in, in two years, mm. saw it on my shirt, called, signed up, got a job, in the next like three weeks from there and has been working at the job ever since so hearing that you know it, that's what it's all about you know so higher heroes is always a good one to go to all right man uh well you know what it's great to see you i look forward to the fight um you know you're an og in the game now i know crazy right no isn't that wild? i feel i feel like i'm a, a young guy in the sport because my body feels great my mind feels great you look um, good thank yeah. you but it's been i mean i'm 20 fights in UFC, you know, three over here. I'm 30 fights plus. Definitely a, a veteran. You're definitely a veteran, but you're a very capable one. Yeah, there you go. Appreciate uh, it's it. It's going to be uh, the Mohegan Sun. Yep. You and Matt Mitrion will be the main event for the semifinals of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. That'll be on Friday. You can catch that on Paramount. And I, I think it's on DAZN as well, but I'll double check. But for sure, it'll be on Paramount. Thank you so much, I Ryan Bader. It. Always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Best of luck to you on Saturday. Thank you. Friday, excuse me. All right. And now we have to go to our last and final guest.
Uh, do we have them up there, Dan's? Danny? Let me know somebody. All right. All right, let's go to him now. He is a respected coach, a former fighter himself, and he made, I thought, a call that was so important, not merely for his fighter, but the sport. The sport needed to see that, and we'll talk about that in just a second with our next guest, the one and only Duke Rufus. Duke, how are you, sir? Oh, there he is. I'm doing, here we go. I'm doing Yeah. Great. Where are you at, Duke? I'm at home today. I'm just getting ready to go to practice. All right. Well, we appreciate your time. Sorry it took me a little bit longer. The schedule got all bumped oh, no around. But we appreciate you. Can I just say thank you for doing that for the sport? I really, and I mean this, we've had this debate a lot of times on the show about when's the right time. And, and I know coaches and corners care about their fighter, but we've got a weird culture, man, where people don't want to pull the trigger on something. And everybody knows Anthony is tough. Everybody knows he's capable. Everybody knows he's a good fighter. He doesn't need to take unnecessary punishment. Tell me why you made that call and if you agree with my general assessment. No, I do. Um, you know, it's uh, the kid's tough as nails. Um, you know, we went through that in the Dos Anjos fight, fighting for the title. Um, you know, the older I'm getting, uh, you know, we grow up in a Rocky movie culture. Uh, Rudy, it ain't over till it's over. Um you know, we have a great positive mental attitude not to quit, not to give up, et cetera. But sometimes it's to a fault. And and uh, I just, and, and stylistically, this isn't a guy that you can jab and grab and coast on, like, say, in a boxing or a Muay Thai fight with your hand damage. You know, here's the thing. Tony Ferguson is a very mean elbow expert. Now, if you know anything about Muay Thai, the only thing that keeps an elbow expert off you is hard punching and uh, good clinching. With uh, Anthony's hand damage, he couldn't keep him off of him getting elbowed. Secondly, uh, he can't clinch him or even submit him if his hand is jacked. So um, sometimes you can risk injuries in a fight. Against a guy like Tony Ferguson, who likes to hit people with those elbows, uh, I just thought it was the right decision. Um, Tony's a hell of a fighter. His numbers speak for themselves, and he showed in his performance. I mean, Anthony was, you know, just so close to taking him out, and he's a very resilient warrior. And, you know, it's just sometimes you you, you got to know when to fold him, and I just thought it was the right decision. He's got a fracture behind his knuckle. And tomorrow we sees a specialist in Las Vegas to see if he's going to need surgery. So um, I, if you look at my hand, you can see a lot of uh, fun things. I'm trying to get that in the camera. I'm yeah, missing knuckles. You can see how, see how bad my hand is. Yeah. I'm living proof of um, sometimes you need someone to um, help you, man. I, I, I love my family. My wife has been with me since we're 26 years old i was and uh she lived through my whole crazy fight career and i'm not gonna lie um my life isn't glamorous i wake up every day in pain um thank god to uh the turp house who's got me on you know cbd oil to help with my inflammation um the medical care that was given in my day to fighters was garbage so i have so many bad injuries that i'm living with and i want to help the guys i train and women not live a life that i live because uh you know i I live in pain daily and and maybe if i would have had some fights where i didn't fight going to a fight injured or uh, i didn't fight continue to fight long after because i started doing the math on when 
A, a fighter fights injured or continues to fight, the winning percentage, from my experience, is quite low. And I just started to think about that more. Actually, Anthony, three weeks before the Dustin Poirier fight, he got uh, stitches in his head real bad. He was sparring another guy, and they accidentally headbutted, um, and he was cut bad. So in the corner that whole night, just just a horrific experience knowing what I knew coming into the fight, um, that those stitches aren't going to hold up. The cut isn't going to hold up and watching them bleed like that. Um, I just can't be a party to that anymore. It's just tough. So I'm, I'm really looking for honesty and transparency from my fighters because sometimes they hide injuries from me and I, it's, we can't have that. We're in the hurt business, you know, especially MMA. You know, in boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, you could jab and grab and tie up and the referee will break you and you can stall when you clinch. MMA, the action doesn't stop. So when you're a wounded animal in there, um, it, it's easy to get uh, taken out. So that being said, MMA is so dangerous. I just thought it was the right decision. I mean, on a really positive note, Anthony told Tony, in the octagon right after the fight, bro, that was the most fun I've ever had in the octagon. <laughs> Even though he didn't win, his spirit is high, he's high, um, he's very focused, hungry again, texting me all day about what we're going to do to improve and et cetera. So, you know, his spirit isn't broken. We didn't get the win, but I think um, he was a silver lining on a really tough night of, for the UFC and MMA. Him and Tony, of course, Tony too. Tony, much respect to him. No trash talking, you know, just a little machismo, a lot of heart, a lot of will, and just they embraced afterwards, and they're cool. Uh, all right, so a few things to follow up here. I can't tell you how many times, Duke, and I know you've heard this probably more than me, I've heard so many times a fighter say, well, I've told my corner that if they if they throw the towel when I'm in trouble, that I'll never have them corner me again. They essentially blackmail emotionally their corner. Have you ever had a fighter tell you that, or have you ever heard of something like that? Because that, to me, seems incredibly toxic. Um, they don't mean to, you know. I, here's the cool thing. I was a high-level fighter, so I understand that. And then I understand coaching now. And I, that's the one thing I have for these guys, empathy. I understand their mentality. You know, a lot of these guys risk a lot to fight. And I'm not talking health. You know, they time away from their families, careers they could have pursued. Um, other opportunities go on the back burner. So they get a very extreme mindset. You know, um, I have a hashtag I like using a lot about that life. They become different people when you're a prize fighter you're a different man or woman especially the, the great ones you know so i don't see it as toxic it's just it's over committed and it's hard to scold someone for being over committed so instead of taking that away from them if you fire me because i stopped your fight i can live with that no problem i'm gonna live with that and you're gonna see me doing that more because um you know, the neat thing that what I love about MMA is a loss doesn't define your career. Anthony did exactly what he said he was going to do. He came to perform. And that's what we love about 
fighting when fighters fight great fights you know it's two rounds of back and forth um entertainment and a lot of great techniques from both guys and it was it was a fun fight to watch so that's one thing i learned when i was fighting in japan for k1 yeah you want to win the fight but k1 was a, an entertainment based sport japanese mma was and i've always kind of coached from that perspective and if you see my guys who do perform well they're very popular you know anthony pettis uh paul felder he uh is very popular even my newer middleweight he's four and one in the ufc with four finishes and he has two bonuses gerald mearshart very mm -hmm. popular guy john mcdessey just got his first bonus under me um tyron woodley has three bonuses in his last five fights take that for boring folks you know so yeah. um that's a fair point you know, let, me, let, just... let me interject if i may um there's a argument i hear all the time and I, I don't think it's a very good one but it's a hard one for me to make talking to somebody like you now again we're on the same wavelength here but i'd be curious to get your your uh, position on it i hear this all the time like in the case of the raquel pennington non-stoppage i'm not asking you to weigh in on that however i made a point because people afterwards were saying well no one knows a fighter like their corner and I believe that to be true. I would not challenge that. But it also occurs to me, Duke, that a fighter can uh, have a corner that loves them and cares about them and believes in them so much that they can overestimate how ready they are for another round and then send them back out there. It's like, I, it's like knowing a fighter is important, but knowing when they've had enough seems like a different skill. A hundred percent, you know. There's no handbook in coaching fighters, just so, you know, it's not as, this isn't as advanced and as organized as, say, football, international football, soccer, baseball, basketball. Those sports are over a century old with a lot of um, data and, and, and techniques. You know, relatively, I call the UFC, they say it's a 25-year anniversary of it. It is technically, but UFC changed a lot. MMA when Zufa took it over 18 years ago. To me, that's how old the sport really is when we went into the commission era, et cetera. So I think, um, you know, me, I expect my fighters to grow from every experience. Well, I have to grow from every experience. And I'm always trying to get better as a, a, a coach, a fighter, a mentor, you know, or, or excuse me, not a fighter, but a teacher, a mentor, you know, it's important for me to grow. Um, it's 2018, not 1998. Um, and again, the elements in the MMA, just a fact of the, the MMA glove, that's one thing. Getting hit with these bones like you do, that's the stuff that hurts, man. Knees, elbows, kicks to the head. There's a lot of brutal fights the other night. And, um, you know, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age. I'd rather be soft and have peace of mind. You know, Anthony and Sergio, um, I'm going to be friends with them for the rest of my life. They're, they're my good friends. Um, Annette, his mother, sent me a, a very well um you know, written message that made me feel like I did the right decision. One of their brother Ray too. Like these people, I, I gotta be there for him. Could he have won? But if I go back and I look at the research of fighters who have gone into fights hurt, um the numbers, there's no asterisk next to um, when you go into a fight and you lose because you're injured or coming into it. I think that's the biggest thing that's hurting our sport. Too many fighters fight when they're hurt and weight cutting. Those two things are what's going to hurt our sport in the long run. How, how do we fix it, Duke? I mean, I think part of it is obviously what you're doing, making the right call, 
coming in and talking about it, explaining your reasoning, setting the example, that helps. But you're just one guy, powerful guy, but you are just one guy. How do we how do we get better as a community about this? Um, I don't know, man. I'm I'm not on the soapbox. Uh I'm just here to do my thing. You know, it's like uh I just want um this hopefully to be, you know, it's all right. I mean, you know, I, I remember uh, Paul was depressed after his fight and, you know, Dana White sent him a really thoughtful message. You know, a lot of the guys, they get so defeatist and I get it. I've been there. It, 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 when you lose, it feels like your life's over. It's, 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 it's very gut-wrenching you know no one wants to lose in front of god and everybody especially on a big event like this weekend but you know the ufc does tell you if you that's not about winning and losing yes it is and it isn't but the fighters i work with that perform on the regular the ufc loves bellator too they you know i mean um, we have a lot of great fighters in our sport that are winning. Our big problem, we need stars. You know, we need stars that perform. And, you know, at the end of the day, the public wants performing. So if you have a fighter that performs well, but they can't continue to perform, protect them. You know, the other thing, this is everyone complains about money in our sport. Don't tie your whole sport into one fight making money save yourself so you can fight often. That's something I learned in Thailand, you know, when they see a fighter's hurt, the referee stops the fight. If they see it's, you know, someone's got an injury, the referee's closest to it, they'll pull the plug, even though maybe a fighter could keep going. The culture in Thailand is um, they fight for a living, so they fight often. They might fight 10 times a year, eight times on a minimum at the high level. So they need to protect their body, and it's just, that's what, you know, you can be tough, but tough only lasts so long. You you got to realize, especially, again, Tony, the only way you're keeping that big beast off is what Anthony was trying to do, box him off. You know, he's nasty with those elbows, and great fighter. And unrelenting with him. Two more questions for you, Duke, and I really appreciate your time. I certainly don't want to dredge up the past, but I have to just ask one question about it, namely the incident a few years ago, the, am- the kid in the amateur uh, show that was uh, related to your camp. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of complicating factors, including a botched weight cut and a whole lot of, you know, uh, commission failures there. But with what happened to him, has that partly informed? I don't know if this is a change for you, but partly informed what you're doing now about being proactive with the health of these fighters when they get into these weird predicaments. No, that doesn't have much to do with it. And it was a sad incident, but there's other factors that I can't get into that go on with that. You know, that being said. Um, you know, MMA is a completely different animal than kickboxing, Muay Thai, and boxing. Like I said, I've fought many a times with my hand broken, but, you know, if you're fighting the right type of fighter, you can get away with it. At the end of the fight, if I'm winning, I can teep you, I can trip you, I can grab you. But the thing is, the fight keeps going in MMA. The other thing, um, you're going to need your hand to, to grapple. So, no, it's it's different. They're, they're apples and oranges there, you right. know. Um you know, it, it's uh, and the other thing too is I live in a world where we get from the outside as coaches, we get so much um, perceived control over situations. I don't have control over any of the guys I train with. I'm sorry. Um, all my fighters on the regular don't take my advice regularly. Everyone, amateur to professional. So 
how I've learned to navigate that is I don't give orders. I don't ask anything. I suggest. Uh, that's my new terminology that keeps me uh, sleeping happy at night. I suggest something because all my fighters ignore everything I say, from weight cutting <laughs> to conditioning to they do. I'm, they ask any one of them if they if they they will agree. I mean, so instead of butting heads with them, I kind of take uh, the way Angelo Dundee trained Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali did his own thing. Most of the time, he didn't listen to his coaches. Um, you know, I get. This isn't the NFL or, or, or the Premier League in England. I'm not the controller of the fighters. I'm an employee of the fighter. That's what people forget. I don't, yeah, I have a gym that I'll train at, but at the end of the day, these guys make decisions that I don't always agree with. I don't agree. I didn't agree with Anthony fighting at 145, but I supported him because he's my friend and I'm a, instead of fighting on it, I'm a, try and help them make the best of a situation, you know, hmm. and that's just who I am, you know, I, and I get though, I'm not going to argue with these guys. There's, they're alpha male, female people. They're, that's who they are. You know, if I, if I go home every day and get buttered about them not listening to me, I might as well quit coaching. You know, that's, I, I have many people from amateur to hobbyists that, you know, um, that they, don't listen to me. It's just, it's a nature of coaching. Once you figure that out, you'll learn to be a lot happier. All right. Last question about this. And again, I really appreciate your time and your perspective. You know, one of the things that occurs to me is you made a great choice, an important choice, the right choice. I couldn't compliment you more on the courage it took to make it. Uh, but what also occurs to me though, is you made it in the course of this, in this context of this longstanding relationship you had with the Pettis brothers. And in this case, Anthony, you've known these guys for a long time. They've known you for a long time. So the question is as follows. It's two parts. One, what did he say to you in the locker room about it afterwards? Because as you noted, he doesn't seem upset about it at all, which was great to see. And second of all, if you could talk to other coaches who might be listening, what is the key to having a relationship with a fighter so that you can make a call like that and afterwards everyone goes home, not happy that they lost necessarily, but happy that they live to fight another day? Um. You know, just you got to create transparency in the relationship. Um, you know, one of our biggest things we focused on is communication. Um, we we have an advantage at Rufusport. We don't have a big gym, so I'm not, I don't have a crazy amount of fighters I work with. I, I'm real close with all the people that I travel and go to fights with. You know, um, that's my biggest thing. And... Um, understanding everyone has the same goals, meaning, yeah, you want to win, want to be successful, want to be a champion, but, you know, what's our ethos? How are we going to become a champion? What are we going to do? Like, what are our, our team's core values? When I say team, the team of the fighter and the coach, you know, what, you know, is it win at all costs or is it win because we did everything right or are we just hoping and showing up and, and rolling the dice, you know, um, you know, it, it hurts. It, 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 I told Anthony three, four times, I'm sorry I stopped the fight, but it's just, I felt it was the right thing to do. I mean, like I said, um, you know, and you're going to see me, I'm, I'm getting on my guys too about not fighting injured anymore. I was just talking with uh, Coach Skip Kelp, Skipper Kelp backstage Friday about one of my K1 fights. I lost a fight because I, I fought with my ribs hurt. You know, I've done that so many times, and 
I'm not, I'm not going to let my guys lose. Quit rolling the dice, man. The house always wins, right? And gambling. Well, right. so, you know, you're injured for a reason. You're going to lose. You're fighting elite guys, especially if you look at the murderous row of guys that are fighting Anthony Pettis. You know, he's not fighting, you know, entry-level UFC guys. They're all guys who are at their peak right now. That being said, I want to make one point. I know the UFC doesn't want to do this. They need more weight classes. A 15-pound spread and a 20-pound spread is too much weight. That's why guys are going to start getting hurt, too, because they're either going to be too weak when they fight or they just have too big of a size advantage for a guy who can't make that lower weight class. I think we need 165, 175, 185, 195, et cetera. Um, I think it would help the sport big time. You know, um, you know, Sergio Pettis, he didn't have the performance he wanted, but he's also contemplating under my advice to go to 135. Sergio's three and one at 135 in the UFC when he came in. The only guy he lost to, is uh, Bruce Leroy, who he was handling him until Serge shot for a leg block. Bruce, Bruce Leroy, you know, reversed the situation and took Sergio's back. So it wasn't like he was getting beat up because of size. He was winning that fight up to that point at the end of the third round. So I think that Sergio's a much stronger 35er. Sergio debuted at 145, and I'm seeing so many guys depleting their strength, their their hunger. You know, I mean, I think the weight cut's harder for some of these kids than the fights are, and that's why you see, you know, kind of uh, uh, flat performances from them. I just I come from a a school a mindset. We need to be a lion. You got to feed your lion so he can be the king of the jungle. You know, I, I don't want a house kitten who um, is neutered and, and and has has no bite. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. You know what? We got to get moving, uh, Duke. But I could talk about this all day. Let me just say, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people. I know certainly inside media. Thank you for making that call. Anthony can hold his head up high, and you guys can get back at it when he's healthy and ready to go. And I know that the sport will be ready to welcome Anthony back as soon as that happens. Thank you so much, Duke. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. There he is. Duke Rufus, ladies and gentlemen. All right. We have, uh, with the time we have remaining, I am going to uh, declare an audible here. It is time for the sound off right here on the, on the MMA Hour. All right, let's do it, Danny. You and I, we don't have a moment to waste, so let's get to it now. You said the calls were uh, huge in volume, voluminous, I suppose. Yes. And uh, all good. Not a moment to waste, my friend. All right, let's get let's to get it. it. Obviously, USC 229 stuff, uh, the whole uh, Habib and, and Conor McGregor stuff, so uh, let's get right into it. All right. Hey, this is Wilson from New York, and I just wanted to talk about what happened you know, inside of the cage. Yes, I know Khabib has started shit outside of the cage. But what happened inside of the cage and how it all started was Conor McGregor sucking, punching Khabib's cousin. And no one's talking about that. They're just talking about how Conor got jumped, having him the victim. And I feel like we should all shine a light on everything, what happened outside and inside, who okay. started the okay. outside okay. brawl. Okay. I get it. Who started I, get it. I get it. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the deal with that call. People keep saying the media is not talking about this. The media is yep. all talking about it. Tweets about that. Why do people imagine that no one's talking about it? The video is out there for everyone to see. With the first reaction videos all came out before anyone had a chance to really pour over stuff. Now that it's clear, everyone's talking about it. This is a nonsense talking point. It's not real. It's total fake news. Okay, now let's adjudicate this a little bit, Danny. 
I, I, here's the thing. Did Connor attack a guy unprovoked inside the cage? Yes, he did. So, you know, I felt bad that he was getting punched, but at the same time, again, you poke the rattlesnake, rattlesnake with a stick, you're going to get, this is what you get, and to a degree. Um, here's what I'll say. I don't understand the distinction, though. It's like, I'm not looking at Habib any more or worse than Connor. To me, once you leave the octagon and you flying jump kick someone's teammate, if that other dude punches another dude, that is just an inevitable consequence of it. They're all in the wrong as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to say about that. Clearly, uh, Habib was the first one to jump out, and, and as soon as that happened, you knew anything was going to go from from then on. I mean, it, it was going to spark chaos, right? Like, what are, what are folks expecting? He jumps out of the cage and Connor's just going to sit there? Yeah. He shouldn't do anything, but whether he should or he shouldn't is not a question about whether he will or he won't. Easy, easy way to evaluate this. Next. Yeah. All right, now let's talk about what, what this means uh, for the UFC. Okay. Hi, Danny. Hi, Luke. I'm Ben calling from France. While watching the brawl happen Saturday night, all I could think of was that this event just delayed the legalization of MMA in France by a few years. I think opponents of MMA here will jump on it and talk about all the lack of respect and sportsmanship. My question is, do you think there is a way this brawl could actually be a good thing, or was it just a disaster? Thanks for your time, and I'm loving the new MMA work. Keep on going. So, first of all, awesome question. Nice and short, right? Yeah, and good microphone. Yes, very good. That was an email for an international caller. The MMA Hour at VoxMedia.com. So is this is this ultimately good for the UFC, good promotion? I mean, this whole fight, the promotion was built off an assault case, right, in Brooklyn. Uh, But it's not, though. It's not. Here's the thing about this. And I've said this before, and I had this debate with some people on on Mm -hmm. Twitter. I'm not arguing that the bus was quite literally a, a valuable vehicle to sell the fight. Yes, it was. But again, I go back to the John Malkovich thing. Could you tell the story of this fight and never make reference to the bus and still have outlandish sales? Yes, of course you can. You're talking about the, the biggest star in the sport versus the toughest motherfucker in that division. What are people talking about that you need a bus? Oh, we got to have that bus in there. No, 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 you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's not. It's part of the story because it did happen. But like. This, this adherence to it, like, this is really the focus. No, this is a distraction for the dogs. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. So Sorry, I haven't slept well, and I'm just full of all these kinds of emotions. <laughs> all good. But uh, so is, you know, to answer this question, um, ultimately, is this going to be good for the UFC, or is this a disaster? Is this a setback for them? In France, I, certainly this is not going to help any kind of efforts with getting that mainstreamed. I, I trust that the French caller knows France better than us, and we know that they've had some problems there. Um, remember, judo is also strong in France, and um, they have a, they're just, just they're natural lobbyists against MMA, so that doesn't help. Inside the United States, I, don't, I think it probably in the end will be either a wash or a benefit to the UFC. If I can be just be candid about it, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's the thing. Yeah, I, I think uh, everyone's initial reaction, especially on Twitter, was like, oh, my God, this is awful. Black eye to the sport, this and that. Uh, but it was I, an ugly scene. It was very ugly. In fact, it was very ugly at the moment. But I think us as working in media, we, we kind of lose uh, a little bit of, of, of the fan in us, right? Because we, we got to look at things uh, with a different perspective, right? And, you know, fan, you know, by nature of, of, of 
the name fanatic right like people people don't really analyze this like oh you know this fight should never happen that bus incident you know this is horrible that he went out of the cage and fought most people are going oh this is so sick what world star you know taking out all their phones and filming this i mean let's be real at the end of the day i i think this this only makes this rivalry even bigger right yeah, i mean i think that's, I think that's true but let me just right let me, i think that's true i think that's true let me say one final note about this if i yeah. may danny Look, if all, if the worst that happens is that Habib jumps out of the cage and goes after Dylan Dennis, then we'll all sleep fine at night. Here's what I worry about is escalating to the point where yes. something serious happens. Mm -hmm. Someone actually gets really hurt or, God forbid, killed in some kind of way. Because everyone is out here playing like it's a big game. Yo, these Dagestanis, they're not playing games with you. It's yeah. not a game to them. So, uh, you know, look, again, this is all that happens. Okay, it's fine. But I worry about escalating tensions. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. And everybody's mentioning and, and speaking of a rematch right now. And and I even tweeted and a lot of I got I caught a lot of hate from this on Twitter, obviously. Uh, -uh. But, uh yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> I I even tweeted, dude, is even a rematch uh, safe to run? I mean, there's so much tension right now. And right. And, and forget about Habib and, and and McGregor. Look at what happened between the fans. There was clearly, I mean, the videos were literally Irish fans. Yep. Uh, going against uh, you know Habib's people, Dagestanis, Russian people, people that were backing up uh, Habib, and, and it was an ugly scene, man. It really it was, was an ugly scene. I agree. So, yeah. All right, let's keep uh, moving and, and discuss some other things about this whole incident. Hi guys, Briggsy here from London. Enjoy the show. Thanks very much. Just a quick question: Is there any precedent in a title fight scenario where the non-title holding loser gets a rematch when there was a a, uh, a non-controversial win for the title holder cheers guys well that is a good question so we've seen already the ufc make all kinds of rematches that don't doesn't don't make any sense right the rose yuan and jay chick right it was pretty clear that rose defeated uh yuan jay chick in the first round same thing with cody garber and tj dillashaw yep. But they, they had the belt. They were champions. What's going to happen here? Rematch or no? Boy, that is. I think it'd be a very bad idea for Conor McGregor to rematch right away. And you can say, well, didn't he rematch Nate Diaz right away? Mm -hmm. He did. But there were some circumstances he can go back to. First of all, he was piecing Nate Diaz up early in that fight. It was at a different weight class. There were some reasons you could think for optimism. I don't know what your reasons for optimism would be here. He can't wrestle with Habib, not right now. And a year ain't going to fix that. Um he showed, I thought, some skill. I've said this before. Like, wh whose wrestling was better or worse, his or uh, Edson Barboza? You could argue that Habib showed better anti-wrestling than Edson Barboza, and I'd be perfectly content with saying as much. But it's still not even close to enough. Like, the guy just has so much of an advantage over everyone. If I'm McGregor, I absolutely put in a little more work in the gym before I ask for that one back. Yeah, and, and as I said, I mean the tensions are high. I think you got to let this one cool down for, for a bit. Sure, uh, you cannot rebook an immediate rematch. I mean th things are getting ugly, and they can't get out of hand. I mean for for a specific reason, the UFC knows they they're aware of this. I mean the first press conference there was no fans uh, because of this, you know. So I think uh, you know see what happens with Diaz and Poirier. If Diaz win win or lose, I really don't think he wants to crack at the lightweight title. I mean we don't even know what's gonna happen with that, but I think. Probably the next move next for Connor is that, that, that trilogy with Diaz. Would you agree? I, I hope, actually. Win, yeah. win or lose for Nate, by the way. And it's crazy how that's like the more civil fight, but even then. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's wild. Jesus, MMA is insane. It certainly is. All right. Well, let's talk about what's going to happen with the USC lightweight title. Hey, Luke. It's Brian from Orlando. I was just wondering, uh, 
if Khabib gets stripped or, you know, gets sentenced by the commission and gets stripped as a result, uh, who do you have fight for the lightweight title? Thinking maybe Tony Ferguson versus either the winner of Nate and Dustin or maybe even Tony Ferguson versus McGregor. I'd just like to hear your thoughts. Right. So let's be clear about this. The commission doesn't strip titles. The promotion mm-hmm. does. Yep. I would, I would, I would, I'll eat my hat uh, if they strip his title. There's no way they're going to. You doing mean that. Chuck Mendenhall? Chuck yeah, I'll eat Chuck Mendenhall's hat. It's an expression. But, yeah. Um, Teasing. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I, there's no way they're going to strip him. Now, what they might do in some other kind of public show of force, I don't know. I don't know how you do anything when you did nothing at all about McGregor. Um, yeah. So good luck with that one. Yeah, so, so you don't think he gets stripped? No, not at all. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Look, the UFC needs guys who can sell on pay-per-view. I mean, Habib, you can say if he's a villain, he's a villain. But he ratcheted it up. Boy, people are saying, nobody knows who Habib is heading into this Conor McGregor fight. First of all, he had a much greater public profile, which you can measure through in many ways, not least of which was Google searches prior to the first Nate Diaz fight and this fight. Significantly greater impact years ago uh, than Nate Diaz was before the Conor McGregor fight. And I know people challenge that. It's not. I am a thousand percent right about that. And the other part is, even if you don't agree with that, people were saying, no one knows who Habib is. Boy, they know now. They know now. Oh, yeah. Uh, but okay, so maybe not stripped, but suspended. Is is, is that possible? Not really. No. no, you don't think so. No. Mm-mm. I don't think they're going to do anything. No. Well, which if that's, someone uh, if someone had been really injured, yeah, that would change the debate. But he attacked yeah. one of Connor's teammates, who you know a lot of people seem to dislike. So yeah. All right. So we've been talking about what happened after. Let's talk about what happened inside of the cage. Okay. Hi, Luke. My name is Shirley, and I'm calling from Brooklyn. My boyfriend, Kenny, and I disagree about who to blame for Connor's cheating during the fight. I'll let him go first. Uh, hey, Luke. So we saw grabbing Khabib's gloves and shorts and throwing illegal during the fight. And uh, personally, I don't really blame him for this. Um, he was getting dominated and he was in desperation mode. Um, so, you know, like they say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Personally, I think the fault lies entirely with Herb, Herb Dean for failing to enforce the rules and being scared to quote unquote influence the fight by uh, taking a point. Okay. I see what you're saying, but I still think Connor's to blame for this. He behaved in a unsportsmanlike manner, and even though Herb Dean didn't do anything, it's still a dirty thing for Connor to do. Other fighters don't cheat that much when they're down, so why does he get a pass? Let us know what you think. Thanks, boy. That, that might be the greatest question we've ever gotten. I know, and it was a couple, our first couple call, uh, callers. Wow, great. they had yeah. two people talk, and they still kept yeah. it parsimonious. Well done. Yeah. Uh, and they got it in in a minute, and that's two people talking. Most people that call, they leave like two-minute voicemails. Yeah, oh, amazing. How about you yeah. go first? What do you think? Uh, so, first of all, that's something I noticed a lot. He was grabbing the shorts. He was grabbing the glove. Yep. Even even when Habib, before the finishing sequence where Habib was dragging him back, he even grabbed the fence for a second. I don't know if you noticed with his hand. Uh, yeah, I went over it a little uh, bit on the Monday morning. Else. I didn't have a yeah. whole lot of time, but yes. Uh, so there was a lot of, of, of cheating involved. And, and Habib, it was so obvious that Habib was talking to uh, Herb Dean as it was happening. He was telling him, look, he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. Man, how many times are we going to mention it? The refs got to go in there and start influencing the fight. I mean, th- that's their job. This whole idea that, no, we got to keep it a pure fight. Well, if the man's doing something illegal, he's not getting punished for it. I mean, it just so happened to be that it didn't influence the outcome. But given any other fighter, given all the things that happened, may- maybe it could have happened if it wasn't Habib in that cage, right? You know what's kind of funny is you watched uh, some of the reaction to what Habib did outside the cage. 
And here's I, I don't I, I don't condone it in any capacity, but yeah. I was looking at like people were defending it. So I was trying to like read their logic about why they were defending it. And their answer was, you know, Connor didn't just talk a bunch of stuff, but he got away with a bunch of stuff. There's the sense that it was up to Habib to stick it to him to give him something that nobody else would. Now, I don't think Herb Dean is trying to give Connor any favoritism. Yes. And to answer the question, I would say, yeah, of course, um, you know, uh, if you're cheating, then you're, you know, you, you deserve some share of the blame, but really I'm with you. I think Herb Dean, like fighters are going to cheat Yeah. either intentionally or unintentionally. They're going to do it. Somebody has to do something about it. That's I mean, the you, job you of the Habib referee. Trying to drag you down and, 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 and squeeze your jaw. Yeah. Of course, you're going to do anything possible to, to stop Yeah, look, that, some of know? that might have been uh, natural. Some of that might have been intentionally yeah. cheating. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Here's what I know. One guy in that octagon can do something about it other than Habib, and that is Herb. Or in this case, it was Herb Dean. But the referees, yeah. ultimately, that is where you can't rely on self-policing. Mm-hmm. right? Oh, the, it's up to the fighters to self-police. Yeah, it is, but they're not going to. So that's why the referee is there. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Right. Uh, now let's talk about Connor. Uh, this caller brought up an interesting point, and it's something I noticed as well. Okay. Hey, Luke. This is Carlos from Sunrise, Florida. I just wanted to talk about um, Connor real quick. Uh, I thought uh, Saturday night he looked uh, a bit slow. He he didn't look like the old Connor that we know. Uh, a lot of his punches were missing that pop that he used to have. And I mean, he, he looked like he was thinking too much about his shots. I'm not taking anything from Habib at all. He looked spectacular, but I don't know. Just, maybe Tony didn't take it so serious. I don't know. Uh, but I don't, it, this is, Right. I'm cut like it right there. Yeah, a lot of ums and ahs. But, but good, uh, good question. Yeah, good question. And look, I, I made this. I, I noticed this, and not even in the fight when Conor McGregor got in the octagon, and, and he was like, I mean, he did some of the vintage stuff, like the what is it, the millionaire strut, uh, yeah. and a few things, and he goes up B- to the camera, billionaire, billionaire right? Uh, but he just looked off. He didn't look with the same edge. He didn't have that same intensity. And uh, am, am I wrong? Did you notice that as well? I don't try to read too much into body yeah. language expertise. Um, I think a lot of it is just, you know, on the same level of eugenics. I don't think, sure. I think a lot of it. Some of it's real. Some of it's not. So did he look a little different to answer your question? Yes. But to me, it's like, let's watch what happened in the cage. Um, dude, Habib had a perfect fight. I mean, not a perfect fight, but a pretty close to one. Yeah. Right. He went out there. People are like he didn't do any damage in the first round. He doesn't need to. He's fighting a guy with a very low work capacity. All you got to do is make him work. And once you do, he is. You're at, people are saying he didn't have the same zip and pop. Right. Because he had to wrestle for four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. He's not. He he can't strike as well as he normally does with those kinds of um, conditions put on him. To me, it's like. I get that a second time, if 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 uh, Connor comes back, maybe there was some ring rust. If he comes back in like I'd say, you know, less than six months, he'll yeah. look better. I can totally believe that. But you got to give credit where it's due. Habib went in there, and dude, Habib did exactly what he said he was going to do every time. You don't show up at the press conference on time, I'm leaving. I'm going to be the first one to make weight. By the way, I'm going to make him tired because when you do, he quits. Yeah. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. What do you want to do about that? I, I I agree with you. Uh, obviously, Habib's per- per- performance was almost flawless. Uh, but I would say that Connor did look a bit 
slow. I don't I don't know if it's a two year layoff. I don't know what it is. Uh, he also has like he was trying to push that proper whiskey as well. You know, he's got a, a business venture. Yeah. He was pushing that hard, man, and that takes time. Uh, a little distracted, maybe. I, I think maybe he was a, a little bit out of. Focus. I think I think he was focused so much on Habib's wrestling and having to wrestle himself, and it's not natural for him to wrestle. So that uh, he just couldn't really get. Look, look at the first instance when Habib shoots on the wrong leg, and Connor doesn't keep. He just sprawls and then stops. He doesn't keep yeah. moving, and so now he's all tangled up and he's having to think about it. That's not where he shines. He shines when he's just in a flow and there's rhythm going. And a ninety-eight percent of that for me is Habib. But maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe there's something to that. Yeah. All right. So you know, obviously that was the biggest fight of the card, but tons of good things happened on that card as well. So yeah. let's talk about the co-main. See you. What's going on, Luke and Danny? This is uh, Dylan from New Jersey. Um, I just wanted to get your guys' thought on, aside from the shit show that was post uh, Habib McGregor, one of the That's most dominant word. victories of the night was Tony Ferguson's win over Anthony Pettis. Yeah. I want you to talk about coming five, six months removed from a brutal, brutal knee injury and looking like that. Um, I really think that he's next in line for a shot at the belt. We don't really know what Khabib's status is going to be suspension-wise. Right. Yeah, Due to time constraints, yeah, I'm going to yeah, cut it right yeah, here, yeah, yeah. but uh, you, you you get the, the question. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, we, or the point. I, I, I've been talking to Tony. I, he was supposed to be in the show today. I don't yeah. know what happened. I was going to ask him about this, this little gift I got at the um, – at the. Uh, can we show a picture of this real quickly? You see that? The um, the open workout. Anyway, right there. It's this. Uh, he, gave, he called me out at the open workout, so I was like, come here, come here, come here. And then he gave it to me, and I was going to ask him about it, but... What's that? It's like some kind of forearm thing. I don't really know. That's the thing. I was saying I was going to ask him. Like, I don't really understand what it is. Oh, okay. Anyway, it, it's a workout tool. It's a workout yeah. tool. Um, neither here nor there. I mean, look, man, what do you want to say about Tony? He looks phenomenal. You know, and he had he, the, those tears at the end. It, it, I don't know exactly what he was thinking prior to the fight. Mm -hmm. it, it seems to me, judging from afar, that um, he looked like a guy who felt like the world forgot about him. Yeah, and I don't know if they did, or he just feels that way, or he's got some good arguments for it. I don't, I don't know, but that's that to me was like when the world forgets about you, you begin to think about maybe I'm worth being forgotten, and to go back and win that way, he, he it looked to me like a guy who thought, I no 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 no, I, I, the sun has not set on this career, not yet. I am still the guy, and you know it made me a little emotional watching it. To be quite honest, yeah. I, I I was really happy for him. And for me, it wasn't only like like the world forgot about him, but it, it's also where he was before. Like people have to remember, at one point when Habib had a, you know his health issues and, and couldn't make the fight, at one point all we could talk about was Conor McGregor versus Tony Ferguson. Those were the two guys, right? And you know maybe throw Nate Diaz in there, but yep. Habib for a second was out of the picture. Uh, and you know he was the champion, he was making the big bucks, and and you know even the promotion. Like, there was nothing uh, for him in the co-main event. It was really all surrounded around the main. So yep. definitely forgotten. And, you know, he made sure to let the world know, you know, that he's back. I mean, five months from a gruesome injury. Even Dominic Cruz was saying, like, yo, I don't even know. And by the way, the thing I find the craziest is that he didn't yeah. get PT with a registered physical <laughs> Yeah, I know. He did it all on his own. Dude, it's just, I, I've said this before. Tony Ferguson is the yeah. only guy in the world who can make gold out of alchemy. Yeah. He's the only one. Yeah, he's insane. So let's talk about the... Uh, the other side of, of, of that Coleman event, Anthony Pettis. Hey, this is Brandon Quintana from Roseby, California. How was your morning so far, Luke? Terrible. Cool. Anyway, my question <laughs> is about Pettis. Um, I believe Pettis' stock rose last night despite a loss. Uh, I also believe that the fight played out the best that it possibly could. Tony looked great and continued to streak. 
Pettis lost for no fault of his own and picked up where he left off in the Chiesa fight in terms of his creativity and the quality of, of, of his performance. However, even with the performance that he put on last night, could you see him stepping in there with the likes of someone like Kevin Lee or Justin Gaethje? I, I feel like Pettis might need a few more good matchups uh, with, with maybe some strikers in the division. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good one. So let me answer this and then you give it to you so we can move along because i got to get going. I have another three hours of radio to do. Yay. Um, okay, here's what I would say about that. I thought Tony, uh, excuse me, Anthony Pettis also looked phenomenal. By the way, he nearly stopped Tony Ferguson. Yes. I mean, he got, I'm not sure exactly how close he got, but it got a little dicey there. Actually, very dicey for a while. He had a great, dude, Tony, excuse me, I keep getting into the two uh, confused. Anthony Pettis had one of the best attitudes all fight week. He looked completely dialed in. You know, he took him a little while to made weight, but he made weight. Dude, he he's I think you're right. Give him some give him a little bit of a building block back up. Yeah. People still care. He still brings it. He's still a good fighter. I think for a while I thought, you know, we 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 had sort of the old Anthony Pettis was 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 gone, right? Um, and I think a lot of that was mental. I think, you know, we saw a fighter like in, you know, him coming up, you know, he's Showtime Pettis. He was flashy. He was f having fun in there being creative. And then for a while, I feel like he got too serious and got too, too technical, too, you know. And I feel like after the Poirier fight and we saw that, he was just having fun in there and he's been having fun. And we saw it in this fight, you know, sticking out his tongue to the camera and whatnot. Uh, so I think at this point, you know, he should get some, some fights to build him up because you can tell he's, he's got a lot of fight in him. Yep. I mean, he almost finished uh, Ferguson and had him doing all kinds of flips. Yeah. You saw there, yeah. All right, we got time for one more, and then I got to get uptown. Okay, cool. Let's talk about uh, the fight hey, we never Luke, saw. what's up, man? It's Michael from New York. Uh, after all the Khabib Connor debacle in the cage, whatever you want to call it, I have a question for you. How many pay-per-view buys do you think a Tony Ferguson Khabib and Ramagamedo fight does now? I actually think the fight does over a million pay-per-view buys now. I think Khabib's uh, stardom is skyrocketed. You go with Tony Ferguson winning 12 fights in a row. I think that fight's a super fight now. Not super fight. In the upper echelon compared to Jordan Jones, GSG, I think Khabib's in that number now. And Tony Ferguson has that backstory as well with him. Just for your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, no one really knows exactly yeah. how popular Habib is. There'll be some independent metrics. Here's what I know. After Nate Diaz fought and beat Connor, he blew up. But that had very different circumstances. Um, and, you know, Diaz did have a bit of a brand recognition as a Diaz prior to that. Mm -hmm. So that, that kind of helped things afterwards. Here's what I do know for sure. Uh, Habib is a much bigger star today than he was on Friday. For major, sure. major improvement. Yeah. Is it worth enough to sell a million pay-per-view buys? I'm a little skeptical of that, but I don't know that to be wrong. It could be right. What do you think? I, I, I would say no as far as a million just because the pay-per-view landscape is, is so rough right now. But but I think it could do very well. Be yeah. a high selling like six six hundred thousand. Yep, yep. I think that's around yep, there. Sure, I think that's pretty fair. And also, like I just want to say, like Habib uh, Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. Let's let's take away all the fame, all the promotion, all the bad blood. That's such a much better matchup than than the Connor one. Would you agree? I think it's a much better fight. The yeah. two interesting matchups there, and I think it's a you know um, look those two guys. They've tried to make it four times. And they can't, but the reality is they're too good to be kept apart. They keep finding a road to the other. I know it's painful. I know we're beaten dogs left out in the rain when it comes to Ferguson versus Nurmagomedov, but it has to happen, and I think, frankly, it will.
I feel so nostalgic watching the morning wings because they went in like just minutes apart from each other. I know. I and know. I was just like, man, if we could just watch that. And they fight, both like, and they both one day. and they both look good on Saturday night yeah. too. You know, that would have been an epic fight. Man, I wish we had more time, but two hours is not enough. We had a, a great calls, but, uh, you know, save, some, save, some of them, save them, some of them we can, can recycle them some yeah, more next week, so sure. we'll see how things go. Good job today, my man. I really appreciate it, okay? Thank you, guys. As always, you can use the hashtag, the MMA Hour, and you can call 844-866-2468. We appreciate everyone for tuning in. Until next time, stay frosty.